get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Thomas and Tarasenko. Tarasenko to Thomas. They score! Bring out the Zamboni. Thomas, a one-timer to the back of the net. The Blues get the victory. You know, when the Johnny Goudreau news happened last night, the one scene that came to mind was in Dark Knight with Heath Ledger as the Joker, where he's standing on top of the building and he's like, and away we go, because (laughs) the craziness is about to ensue. Welcome, everyone, into BK and Ferrario here at the Centene Community Ice Center at the ENB Granite Studios. We are here for Blues Prospect Camp, but we are also here for free agency in the National Hockey League. And along with Bally Sportsman West's Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And we start off with the news that broke this morning. Frank Saravalli was the first one on this from Daily Faceoff. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, our Blues insider, did all of his investigative reporting. And it does sound like that Robert Thomas is signing an eight-year, $64 million contract extension to remain with the St. Louis Blues. And Alexa, let's just start with that news because... Robert Thomas signing that contract extension, and we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the news. David Perron headed to free agency. When this comes out, it makes a lot more sense about David Perron not having the money, as the Blues are saying, to re-sign him. When you're looking at Robert Thomas signing signing an eight-year contract extension for $64 million. That's a lot of money, but he earned it, right? Mm -hmm. He's a young guy. He's only 23 years old. He had a career year this past season, 77 regular season points in 72 games, 20 goals, 57 assists. You guys remember his March where he went on that incredible tear. He scored 12 goals in 19 games. This guy is exactly what they're looking for to build around. And what I love about Doug Armstrong is he is giving him exactly what he earned. Listen, if you go out there and you play hard, for us and you compete on a high level you do everything that we ask we're going to reward you and Robert Thomas should be thrilled obviously and so should the rest of the organization because this is a guy that you can count on and you're locking up an elite centerman like that's the part that I find the most impactful with this news and this signing number one centers don't come around every day heck look how long it took the Blues to find their number one center in Ryan O'Reilly they went through the David Backuses the Patrick Berglins the Paul Stastny's until they got to Ryan O'Reilly and now everyone around hockey always says you build your organization from the center position down like if you're strong through the center position you're a very good team you've got Braden Shen locked up for six years you've got Ryan O'Reilly locked up for 
well, hopefully a longer extension after this year when he's an unrestricted free agent. But you're also looking at it and saying, we've got now our number one center for the next eight seasons, a man who is viewed as one of the best passers in the game, and a man who is also viewed as a guy who makes his teammates better around him. Sometimes passes a little too much. I want him to shoot the puck more. You know I, what I, mean? I, I think Craig Berube wants him to shoot a little bit more. <laughs> but that Buchnevich-Thomas-Tarasenko line was one of the highlights of this season. Watching those three work together, it, it was phenomenal. And honestly, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen with Tarasenko, but... When we talked about last offseason, the fact that he had requested a trade and haven't really heard much on that front since, maybe Tarasenko goes, okay, they're locking this guy up. This is a situation where we had a really great team. We made it to the second round of the playoffs. Obviously, we faced a really tough Colorado Avalanche team, but I could stay around here and we could potentially win a cup if they start adding pieces that I really believe in. So I'm not ready to ship Vladimir Tarasenko out of town yet. I know a lot of people are. Yes. But with this move, I feel like there's a sense of we're really committed to the cause. And they have been for several years, obviously, since winning the cup. But in this situation, if I'm Big Daddy Vladdy, I'm looking at it like this looks pretty good to me. Yeah, I mean, you've got that one-two punch and whatever the next season is and unfolds. That is itself, but right now Doug Armstrong's looking at this roster, and we had him on our show a few months ago, and he said the window remains open because of players like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Tanner, your thoughts? Does this make the David Perron thing one? Does it make a little bit more sense, and two, does it does it ease the pain a little bit more? Yeah, I, I think it eases the pain a little bit more because you now have a young centerman who could be the number one center for this team for years to come, locked up under a good contract. We were talking about it right before we went on the air. You take a look at Dom from The Athletic and his <laughs> player card, and he has his not market friend value. Of the show, not Alexa. friend of the show, Alexa. Okay. Uh, he's got the market value at $8.3 million for Robert Thomas. So you've got him in basically the deal, a pretty – Deal, good deal for both the player and for the team. And you look at him and Alexa brought up his shooting more. I, I think he's a guy that with his shot, he can be a 20-goal scorer consistently for the Blues. And he's going to rack up the assists, especially if he's got Cairo on his line or if they end up bringing in someone else to be with Robert Thomas. Because how many times last year did we talk about Robert Thomas as being the centerman that if someone's struggling, you put him on their line and mm-hmm. that he helps get that guy going. We talked about that all year long and there are even times uh, last year where he was taking some of the biggest draws in the game, whether it be in the defensive zone or on the offensive side of things. I, I really love this deal for Robert Thomas, and it does give a little bit closure. And actually, maybe not so much the closer, because I think it would have been cool to see Perron back and come back to St. Louis and wear the blue note again. But I think it just gives me the sense of, okay, now I understand where that money was going. That Army kept saying, well, we don't have cap space for David Perron to get him on the term that he's looking for, the three-, four-year deal. Uh, we'll see what he ends up signing for potentially today. And it made more sense, because you looked at the cap sheet and you went, well, they've got around – Six to nine million dollars to work with. Why is there no David Perron signing? Well, now we kind of have an idea because he wanted to get Robert Thomas locked up, and it was going to be tough to have Perron. Not so much this year, because Thomas is going to be on his cap hit for this year of two point seven five, if I'm not mistaken. It's more of the next year, and that's where it makes sense. Perron doesn't want the one year deal; he wants multiple years. So I have, I fully understand why they did it. Now that now we're seeing this, I'm still not sold on David Perron as done being a blue. Like I still think there's this this little. I love your optimism. Uh, it must be, you know, Alexa. Mike Schilt did tell us last season that optimistics live longer, so we try and do that a lot <laughs> on this show. But uh, there's a sliver of hope that Perron's going to go to the free agent market, not see what he wants, and then come back to St. Louis. But it's beyond David Perron also. This was one of the big to-do lists. It was a check mark that Doug Armstrong had to cross off going into this offseason because you didn't want to go into RFA status with Robert Thomas and potentially having to pay him more than $8 million. 
But now it comes to the captain. And this is why I also think it comes to David Perron here. And we're going to talk about the other uh, tinfoil theories that people are connecting to Robert Thomas and Matthew Kachuk. But the sentiment I've heard a lot so far this morning is, well, if you sign Robert Thomas to this contract, you're not going to be able to bring back Ryan O'Reilly. I don't necessarily believe that because, one, Robert Thomas is 23 years old. You're locking up a young player who's got star in his future. Yep. Ryan O'Reilly, who is still a star in the National Hockey League, one of the best defensive two-way centermen in the game, but you're also a player who's 31, 32 years old at the end of this contract. Ryan O'Reilly's not going to be going to the Blues after the season and saying, yeah, I won $8 million too, because he's realistic. You're looking at it and saying, okay, I'm on a team that's competing. Robert Thomas is locked up. You've got Pavel Buchnevich. Maybe you're pushing for Matthew Kachuk. That's where you come back to the other side of things and you say, yeah, maybe I take a step backwards in terms of salary because we've got a roster in place. I 100% agree. I do think that Ryan O'Reilly would be that captain to say, I'm willing to take a deal because I believe in this team. I believe what this team has provided me and what I've given to this team in exchange. And it's a great marriage. And it's worked out really well. And going forward, this is something that I believe in and like to stay here, even if it means I take a bit of a discount. Makes sense to me. Makes a ton of sense. And and I, I just... I think the plan has always been, and this is why the David Perron thing, we talked about it yesterday, the plan has always been set yourself up for the next couple of years. Ryan O'Reilly's going to have to get paid. JR, I think JR mentioned something like five, five and a half, maybe for Ryan O'Reilly on that next contract extension. But you get Thomas locked up. You've got Jordan Cairo, who's a restricted free agent. This was just the plan in place. And it's important, I think, for the Blues to look at this free agency and say, yeah, these guys are all fascinating to us. But the guys we have in place right now, we feel is a cup contender. And that's where Ryan O'Reilly comes into play. I wouldn't be shocked in the next couple of days if Ryan O'Reilly has a contract extension like Robert Thomas has just gotten a contract extension. That's a good point. The other thing with David Perron, too, is, listen, he's earned his ability to go out and look on the free agent market and explore any opportunity is provided to him. And the organization believes that as well. David Perron might look around and say, you know what? St. Louis is my best shot at winning another cup. I could go out and get paid, but am I going to be playing in the postseason next year? That's a huge question mark for David Perron. So he's going to go ask those questions. He's definitely going to explore, but it might be a situation where the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So he might return and go, okay, well, we've locked up Robert Thomas. If Ryan O'Reilly does get locked up, that could be huge. We brought in another piece. We don't know who that is yet. I'm willing to take a step back as well and, you know, sacrifice for the greater good. Well, and I think you're also, if you're David Perron, you're going to go to the market and you're going to see, like, the top dogs are going to get paid. Johnny Goudreau is probably going to get 10 to $11 million. But look at the middle of the pack. And that's what, I mean, I've seen multiple analysts say, like, that's the group of players that are going to get hit hard this free agency because of the flat cap. Yeah. It's those middle-of-the-pack guys. David Perron is an elite power play specialist, but David Perron is also 32, 33 years old. And compare that to what, like, an Evander Kane just got get paid or got paid from Edmonton, where it was about $4 million per year. You're right, Alexa. Perron could go to the market and see, like, yeah, the grass isn't as greener. The $6 million that I thought I was going to get on the market might actually be $5 million. $5 million to go to this team compared to taking $4 million for this team might make more sense just to return to where I'm most comfortable and know I'm going to have the most success. Sure. Yeah, that's a big that's a big uh, dilemma for him. But all, honestly, he's got the world at his fingertips. Absolutely. He's able to make those decisions because he played so well this season. And 
both the Blues set him up well, and he played exceptional. So for him to be able to have those options, he earned it. Uh, we've got some breaking news as well. Uh, according to Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff, he's hearing that the St. Louis Blues have agreed to a four-year deal in place to keep defenseman Nick Letty. Uh, we're, they are currently working on the AAV, so we'll provide more of that, and we can dive into that as well as we go on in the show. So we wow. now what, know what the plan was with the left-side defenseman here in free agency. And that's the – that's boy, that's another shoe that I did not expect in this one. So let's do this. Let's take a break when we come back because Nick Letty wouldn't be the only signing that has been made official today for the St. Louis Blues. I already see the text messages come in talking about the first signing that was made in free agency. We're going to touch on that on Nick Letty next here on BK and Ferrario with Alexa, Dat, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alexa, Dad, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here at the Centene Community Ice Center. We are at the E&B Granite Studios for Blues Prospect Camp and, of course, the start of NHL Free Agency. And wouldn't you know it, 16 minutes in, the craziness has already begun. Not just for St. Louis, but for the NHL. But we're going to hone it in here on the Blues, and we're going to start with the one area that everyone is talking about right now. And then we're going to get to the one once we get a little bit more information on it, but it's the backup goaltender. We have talked extensively on BK and Ferrario of how it seems like maybe Charlie Lindgren is going to be that guy. I know Craig Button was on last week with us that said the Blues could look to Joel Hofer for getting that start. But the report last night was that the Blues were looking at veteran backup goaltender options. And veteran backup goaltender options, let me tell you, slim to none out there and the blues have made the signing now it's not official according to the st louis blues but jeremy rutherford has reported this elliot friedman has reported this but all signs are pointing towards the blues signing thomas grice uh, the 36 year old goaltender who the last two seasons played for the Detroit Red Wings. Before we talk about this, I want to bring in Grant Francis because Grant Francis is a New York Islanders fan. He's worked for the New York Islanders, and Thomas Grice played for the New York Islanders. So, Grant, before we break down Thomas Grice as the backup goaltender, and I'll give you a little hint, I'm not happy about it. Try and sell me on this. Listen, this is a really good signing for the Blues, I think. Thomas Grice is the type of goaltender to where – you know, if you need him to play a certain amount of games, he can play it. Let's remember in 2019, he was part of that Islanders team that won the Jennings Trophy with Robin Leonard for fewest goals allowed in the season, uh, you know, with combined goaltenders. He's not a bad goaltender. And I, th- I think a lot of people look at his stats from last season and say he had an 891 save percentage. He had a 3.66 goals against average. He was on the Red Wings. And, and you know... <laughs> I think any goaltender is going to allow three and a half goals a game. If you're on the Red Wings, their starter, um, Alex Nedeljkovic, he allowed 3.3 against in the game, and that's their starter. So I really like this signing. I think you can still get, you know, at least one good year out of Grice, and that's what the reported signing is going to be, a one-year deal for the Blues. I don't think this is a bad thing. One-year deal, $1.3 million, 36 years old. Now, here's where I'm at on this, Alexa. I'm a little concerned, and Blues fans might remember this. This was before you were in St. Louis, but you might have remembered this because you were working on the the national stage. The Blues signed a 
backup goaltender in Chad Johnson yeah, in the 2018-2019 season. And, and at the time, they had let Carter Hutton walk into free agency, and people were like, oh, how can you let Carter Hutton go? He was such a good backup. But the Blues had such good rapport with signing a guy who looked like he was done and then he came to St. Louis and then, boom, career rejuvenated. Brian Elliott, Carter Hutton, heck, a little bit of, um, well, not so much Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson just did not work out for the Blues. He was the reason that Jordan Bennington got the call up because they basically just DFA'd, if there is no DFA in hockey. But they basically just said, Chad, thanks for your service, but this was not good. I'm a little worried that that's what this is going to be with Thomas Grice. The underlying numbers don't look great for a guy like this. But I guess to be optimistic, you're looking at it and saying, well, they've they've done this in the past with backup goalies. Sure. That's a way to be optimistic about it. <laughs> but I also think that you're not going to get the Bennington-Husso duo. Absolutely. No matter where you look, unless you brought Vallejo-Husso back. That just wasn't going to happen. So you're going to have your starter who's going to be maybe the gap between the starter and the backup is much more significant. But that's the case for several teams around the NHL. And they still do just fine. You're putting a lot more weight on Jordan Bennington to step up, and he did that throughout the season, right? Obviously, you were a little concerned about that injury and how he returns from it, which is why you sign a veteran backup goalie. But Jordan Bennington is still your guy. He's your guy that's got the jerseys hung up in the airport. People walk in, and they're like, oh, who's number 50? That's Jordan Bennington. That's our dude. We are here for this guy. And he's going to be the guy going forward. They have a lot of faith in him. He obviously has a cup under his belt. And so why not believe in Jordan Bennington? You don't need a two-headed goalie if also you're planning on making some other moves, which I do believe Doug Armstrong is. I, I'm with you on that one. And the, the only thing for me with, with Thomas Grice, and again, it's reported that he's signing a one-year contract worth $1.3 million uh, to be the Blues' backup. The only concern is... What happens if Jordan Bennington has another regular season like he had last year to where it doesn't go well and you need your backup to step in? Can you rely on a 36-year-old goaltender to come in and play a string of two weeks for you and steal some hockey games? Because in all reality, you're looking for your backup goaltender to play about 30 games, 35 games, and maybe get, maybe get 20 victories out of that, maybe less than that. I'm not sure. That's a lot to ask. That's what you're wanting from your backup goaltender with Jordan Bennington. you got to find a guy who can push him, and I just don't know if Thomas Grice is the one. Yeah, and I, there must be something that the Blues have seen that they like in him in terms of their scouting department because I'm going to give the Blues the benefit of the doubt when it comes to bringing in these veteran goalkeepers, minus the Chad Johnson one, of course. But because most of those guys have panned out, there must be something that they they are seeing that they like. And I don't think they thought, because I'm assuming with this signing that we're not going to see uh, Charlie Lindgren bought, brought back. There were reports that started to surface uh, late last night and early kind of Tuesday as well of, you know, he's actually going to have a pretty good market for himself and could be commanding a one-year deal over a million dollars. And I don't know if the Blues had that much faith in Lindgren to be the backup and take on this kind of a role. So I, I don't mind them going out and getting the veteran uh, veteran experience in, in Thomas Grice. I think he might end up, if he could just be get back to the form he was where he's got like a 9, 10, 9, 12 save percentage, back kind of like 2020, 2021 where he was with Detroit. If he can get back to that, then the Blues have found their guy that can kind of support Jordan Bennington. And I do agree with you. I think they, they were looking for a guy to push Jordan Bennington, not take the job from Bennington, but just 
push him. They didn't just want someone that's going to eat games. Yeah, for him. Mike McKenna says it all the time. The backup goaltender term is gone. Like it's one A, one B. Like you got to have a guy who can push your goaltender, unless you have Andre Vasilevsky and someone from the six three six texted in and said it's kind of like Elliott in Tampa Bay. Yeah, but the problem is Jordan Bennington's not Andre Vasilevsky playing seventy something games for you, and you know he's going to be up to his game. But Alexa made the point about feeling like there's other moves coming, and it's hard to disagree with that because we do have some breaking news, if you want to call it that. So, Grant, go ahead and hit it. 101 ESPN, breaking news alert. So we still don't know what the AAV is for this, but uh, Frank Saravalli is reporting that the Blues are close to a deal with Nick Letty on a four-year contract extension for him to remain with the St. Louis Blues. Now, again... You don't know what the AAV is. And Mike McKenna, friend of the show, and of course uh, the former NHL goaltender said that you have to imagine on a four-year deal with Nick Letty, the AAV is going to be lower than what he probably would have gotten on the market for that extra year. But Alexa, this is the one we were talking during the commercial break. I'm a little surprised by this. I did not expect Nick Letty back with the St. Louis Blues. No, I didn't either. But I was really high on Nick Letty when they originally brought him in and a lot of people had questions about him. I talked to... Several reporters who covered him with the Islanders and said, listen, this is a guy who's going to play great hockey. He has the postseason experience. And when they did bring him in with the Blues, he played extremely well. Now, four years, we don't know, like you said, what the average annual value is. But that, that's a significant contract extension for Nick Letty. He earned it because he played well. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the other pieces fall. But for me, uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit surprising, for well, sure. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, you're a little log jammed on the left side of your team right now. Yeah. You've got Nick Letty locked up. You still have Marco Scandella. You've still got Tori Krug. And you've got Scott Perunovic. And you've got Nico Mikola. So, I mean, you've got five guys playing the left side right now for this team. So, as Alexa, you mentioned, there's got to be another move around the start of the offseason. And everyone always falls victim to this once free agency starts for the Blues. Because free agency starts, it's like, oh, God. That's your offseason move? We've already seen the texts that have said, you can't beat Colorado with Thomas Grice as your backup <laughs> goaltender. If you're going to put everything on Thomas Grice signing with free agency, then you don't know how Doug Armstrong runs this team because this might just be the start of what he's looking at the big picture for this roster. A hundred percent. And that's what you have to keep in mind. It is a much bigger picture than just the first moves, but those dominoes have to fall in order for you to reevaluate how much money you have to be able to give to other guys, to figure out trade values, how you're going to move pieces, how it's all going to fit, how it's all going to work together. But the fact that they did lock up Robert Thomas and now they have Nick Letty, Now you look at a situation where you are probably going to send somebody on that left side out of town. Who is it going to be? We don't know. And who comes back? Again, big question mark. How do you feel like, though, the fan base responds if the move isn't to bring Matthew Kachuk into town? Well, Well, people freak out. They'll freak out. See, that's what I think is... That's what I think is going to happen. And let's get into that on the other side because I'm with you, Alexa. People will freak out. You have to think that there's more moves 
coming with this. And I do think one left-handed defenseman could be on the trade block that ties in to all of this. And Kevin Weeks was talking about this as well. So we're going to talk about this on the other side. But before we go to break again, Nick Letty reportedly signing a four-year contract with the St. Louis Blues. We don't know the AAV yet. Frank Saravalli had the report. So we'll keep you posted on that. Also, the report, not official from the Blues, but Jeremy Rutherford reporting that Thomas Grice has signed a one-year contract as the backup goaltender for the Blues, and it was just made official. Robert Thomas has signed an eight-year contract extension to stay with the Blues. The AAV is $8.125 million, so Robert Thomas is locked up for the next nine seasons with the St. Louis Blues. Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario will come back and get into what all of this means and what could take place in the next couple of hours next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We were informed earlier this evening after uh, a lengthy uh, a lengthy discussion um, and negotiation, Johnny Gaudreau was going to hit free agency and he'll be testing the market and uh, entering the free agency market. It's a disappointing day, uh, to say the very least. That was the Calgary Flames general manager, Brad Treliving, last night when the news broke that Johnny Goudreau was headed to the free agent market, and along with Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario, that was the shoe that really was going to drop first for the Blues offseason. We talked about it yesterday, Alexa, about how it's tied into Perron, maybe tied into Matthew Kachuk. But listening to Brad talk last night about Goudreau headed to the free agent market, I mean, I felt like the man's entire family died. (laughs) The guy was so distraught, and rightfully so, because the reports have been that they threw an eight-year, $9 million contract to him, $10 million, $10.5 million. Can I interest you in $11 million? (laughs) They were doing everything to keep Johnny Goudreau, and he still walked. And for me, maybe it's tinfoil Ferrario on this, but if you're Brad Treliving, li- tra- uh, tra- you're, you're upset if Johnny Goudreau walks, right? Because mm-hmm. he's a 100-plus point player. But are you that upset if you know that you still have Matthew Kachuk in-house? Because that's what I felt like. I felt like the shoe truly was dropping not just on Goudreau last night, but because they knew that Kachuk was probably out the door also. Well, this GM was just in the battle of his life, <laughs> yes, and he, he lost, and he came out bloody and bruised. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard somebody so sad, and I get it. Johnny Goudreau, you're losing a guy in the prime of his career, and he turned down money that would have made him not only the highest-paid player in Calgary in the franchise history, but among the richest in the NHL. Yeah. So the fact that he was like, nah, I'm good, that's a real blow. That's right. a blow to the ego. That's a blow to the organization. For me, though, it sends a message that says, this is how the NHL works. Your window of opportunity yeah. is so small, and it can open a crack and then slam shut just like that. And I think that's what the GM's feelings were more so than anything else. He lost the battle, but the fact that he had these guys together and wasn't able to get it done, and now knowing it's not going to happen, that depression kind of waves over you, and that's what we're hearing him express. And I think the matter of the fact is, Alexa, that you got beat by the team in the Pacific, Edmonton Oilers, in the second round, 
and you realize that the Pacific Edmonton is just going to continue to get better. Yeah. This might have been your best opportunity to do so, but that's where I think this falls into Matthew Kachuk now. And we've heard the reports in the past, and Grant, I believe we have an EJ Raddick audio clip if you have that ready to go, but we've heard the clips in the past of individuals saying, like, look, if Johnny Goudreau walks, Matthew Kachuk is probably out the door also, and if you're Calgary, you might need to trade him before you just let him walk for nothing. Here's EJ Raddick of NHL Network. You know, I, th- I think it certainly sends a message to Matthew that he's, he's lost a really good player there. Um, Calgary has more money to spend, so maybe they're going to spend, they're going to make some kind of big offer for Matthew Kachuk to get ahead of the game with him and, and try to keep him there. But it also, you know, it says, hey, I can play through this contract and I can, I can be my way out as well. And I think it's, I think that's something the Calgary family have to figure out. Is he going to be here long-term? And if he's not, we have to probably move him now and get assets in return so we can continue to move forward. And that's where Calgary sits currently. And now the tea leaves begin to continue opening up for this St. Louis Blues team because Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet TSN uh, quote-tweeted the Blues announcement of the eight-year contract extension saying, Robert Thomas is currently in Boston with the Kachucks, dot, 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 to be a fly on that wall. Ooh. So, that just got me so excited. Jeff Merrick just continuing to stir, stir the that pot. pot, Alexa. But here's the real deal. You sign Nick Letty to a four-year extension. There's five left-handed defensemen on your roster for three spots. Can't let all of them play at the Someone's same time. Someone's got to go. Someone's got to go. You lock up Robert Thomas for an eight-year deal. Johnny Goudreau leaves the Calgary Flames. I know I look like Charlie Day in that meme of pointing to 18 different things of <laughs> how I'm explaining Matthew Kachuk is coming to St. Louis. Can you imagine Doug Armstrong's brain oh, where God. it's pointing a bunch of different directions? Tom Timmerman of the Post-Dispatch, uh, you put a picture out of Prospect Camp beginning, and, and the entire front office has been out there every day this week just watching everything. Not one front office member was there and I'm like, huh, I wonder what they're up to right yeah, now with right. free agency. But that's where I'm at with this. The Blues are going to have to do something on the defensive side. And again, we're waiting to find out what the AAV truly is for Nick Letty. But with this Calgary Flames news, you really have to wonder if you're Doug Armstrong, is there more of a possibility now to find a way and pull off a deal to acquire Matthew Kachuk with the David Perron potentially walking, knowing that you've got Nick Letty locked up for the next four years? You might have to move some pieces around, but Matthew Kachuk could be probably as more likely as he's ever been at this point. And that's why Doug Armstrong is super busy right now, because this isn't going to be a trade one guy for another type of a deal, potentially. This is going to be, we're going to have to make some moves, maybe get another team involved, maybe dump some salary, and make it happen in order to get Kachuk playing in a St. Louis Blues uniform. The other thing is, I mean, with the Johnny Goudreau situation, once he leaves, Calgary was like, yeah, Kachuk's not going anywhere. It was like a defensive statement immediately. Yeah. Like, well, I-, I lost, but I'm not a loser. Like, that's that's kind of the mentality that, you know, it was super defensive. And I thought to myself, wow, yeah, but he is going to go, and he's yeah. probably going to come here. Oh, you sweet thing. That's, We're so that's sorry. adorable. Yeah, you sweet thing, Brad. Really cute. Yikes. I think this also comes down to it. Like, big picture, if you're a Blues fan, you're looking at this, Alexa. And let me ask you this question. If you're a Blues fan, and Matthew Kachuk, you can't acquire him because Calgary's saying, nope, not going to trade him. We're going to wait until free agency hits, and we'll let him decide. If they don't bring back David Perron, and they sign Nick Letty to this four-year contract extension that's reported, and that's it. They say, this is what we can do now with our cap, but 
saying it without saying it, we're setting ourselves up for Matthew Kachuk and free agency. Are you happy if you're a Blues fan? Knowing that this is your roster for this season, but you've got one more year before Matthew Kachuk is a part of this team. Yeah, but hold on, because if you're the Calgary Flames and you just watch Johnny Goudreau walk out the for door. For nothing. For nothing. You're willing to let that exact same situation repeat with Matthew Kachuk? I don't think so. You, I mean, fool me once, but <laughs> I don't think that that could happen twice to them. Yeah, the, because you have to keep yourself in competition level. You can't right. sit there and be like, okay, well, now we're just going to be awful because you've made all of these signings in the last couple of years to be competitive. And if you're in rebuilding mode and you want to get a guy who has been proven at the professional level, that's called a trade. Yeah. Going to sign or going to draft, you know, guys who you're not really sure exactly what you're going to get from them. You're looking at your fan base like, wow, we just had two of the best players in the NHL potentially trying to compete for a championship. And now we're sitting here kind of sitting on our hands. You got to bring in something mm-hmm. in order to get that fan base excited about some sort of a rebuild. Watching Kachuk walk out the door would be the worst possible scenario Absolutely. for them. So we've got some more breaking news, but we've already broke the news, just more detail to it. So it is officially a four-year contract extension for Nick Letty worth. Yeah, I'm so curious. $4 million AAV. Yep. And that that one tells me that, okay, they got that. You gave that extra year to a Nick Letty for a lesser AAV hit. But you're also bringing this guy in for four years. And this is where it comes into, okay, what's the next move here? And you have to imagine, Alexa, that the way that the Blues said they, they detailed in the, going into the offseason what they want from their blue line. They said, we need guys who can move the puck, guys that have a physical presence, who are fast, and who are big. Yeah. Well, right now on the left side, they don't have, they don't have the size other than Nico Mikola. Right. But Nico Mikola, I think we can all agree, is probably playing on your third pairing. And you've got Marco Scandella, who has one more year after this season under contract at 3.67 mil. But then you've got Krug, Letty, Perunovic. One of those three is not going to be playing in your NHL roster. Like Mikola and Scandella, you can you can look at that and say, okay, well, probably one's going to be playing, one's going to be your seventh defenseman. But you've also got Callie Rosen here as well. They've got a lot of guys for very little positions. That ties into the more moves that should be coming from Doug Armstrong. If you are setting this up for a Matthew Kachuk situation, you're saying to him, listen, we got Robert Thomas locked up for the next eight years. We also have Nick Letty, who we've seen work in this system, and he's worked well. Not so much on the power play, but he has played his butt off for when he was here, not only down the stretch, but in the postseason, and we have him for four years. You're setting up a situation where you have – you know, um, a constant for a guy to bring in a superstar. You're literally setting the table and you're saying, okay, we have all of these seats filled for the next several years. Here is your seat. Come and take it and let's go win a championship. So here's the comment. And I expected this comment to come in with all this Matthew Kachuk talk. And look, we don't know if this is going to happen, but we can tell you Jeremy Rutherford's reported that the conversations took place at the draft. We know now that Johnny Goudreau is not coming back. And we've heard from Frank Saravalli. We just heard from EJ Raddick, from Elliot Friedman, that if Goudreau goes, you have to wonder if Kachuk's going to be traded right behind him. So it's not like we're pulling this out of thin air. This has been in the conversation, but the text that we've received, and by the way, we want more of your texts. We've got questions and answers coming up in our next segment on our Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. You can't afford Kachuk now that you've signed um, Thomas to an eight-year contract extension with eight mil per year. You've got Nick Letty at $4 million, and you've got to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo. 
I understand that. And by no means am I a capologist to figure this out. But let's look at it sample size. Robert Thomas is essentially Vladimir Tarasenko's salary. Tarasenko makes seven and a half. Thomas is going to make $8 million next season. So that kind of cancels itself out. Next season, you have a couple of guys coming off of the books, but you've also, now with Nick Letty on there, there's going to be another move you have to imagine on the defensive side of trading one of those salaries away. Maybe it's Scandella, maybe it's Krug, not really sure in this sense. So that's going to cancel itself out. And you're looking at potentially coming into the season, you had $9 million available to you. So when Tarasenko comes off the books, and if Perron's not coming back, and Letty's here, but a defenseman gets traded, you'll be able to make that worth with Matthew Kachuk. Is it going to be pretty? Probably not for how much money's tied up at the top of your lineup, but you're also adding a potential 120-point player to your team. Worth it. I do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. The rest of St. Louis would too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the golden son of St. Louis. That's Why right. wouldn't you do it with this one? So she's Alexa Datum, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson here as well. We are at the ENB Granite Studios here at the Centene Community Ice Center. I know we are talking a ton of hockey, and yes, the Cardinals pulled out a huge victory last night. We're going to get into that in our next segment in about uh, 15 minutes or so, but we are also going to get to our questions and answers segment coming up next, so if you've got questions for us, send them our way at the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, and again, if you missed it, Robert Thomas, eight-year extension worth $8 million per year, Nick Letty, four-year extension with $4 million per year, and reportedly, Thomas Grice is signing a one-year contract to be the backup goal for the Blues. Free agency underway. Questions and answers next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alexa Datum, Alex Ferrario, we are here at the E&B Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center on the start of NHL Free Agency. Coming up in our next segment, we've got to get into that Cardinals game last night because what a game, not just for the Cardinals overall, but for the bullpen. But now we get to your questions on, on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. And let's start with this one from the 636. At this point with the salary cap issues, would it be more beneficial to trade Tarasenko for draft capital and try to package Krug as a centerpiece of a trade? So I understand where they're coming at with that, but let's look at it here. You you don't know if Perron's coming back. Right. If you trade Vladdy for draft capital, now you're out Perron and Tarasenko. You've lost two of your highest scorers this season. Yep. And then trade Krug, who was your best power play weapon in terms of quarterback, as a centerpiece for a trade. What's that trade that you're trading Krug for? Because if you're getting Matthew Kachuk, yeah, your team's better, but you significantly got hurt on the offensive side. So... I don't know if it benefits this team. They're not in salary cap issues right now. They're fine right now. They had $9 million coming into this offseason, $8 million with the bonuses for Tyler Bozak. Perron's not back. You gave Grice $1.3. That's the, what the report is, and your RFA is probably around $2 million. You still got about $3, 4000000 million to work with. So I don't know if you have to sit here and start making moves for salary cap purposes. The only way you're going to make a move with Kruger Tarasenko, at least in my opinion, Alexa, is if you're bringing something better or to the same degree as those two players. And I also want to temper the expectations of fans because, yes, 
free agency opened today, but I think that there's a huge expectation that Matthew Kachuk is going to be on a plane and feet on the ground by tomorrow, and that's not going to be the case. There are a lot of moving parts yes. here. This is a fluid situation. It could take weeks, but if it's going to happen, he would be here by the start of the regular season for sure. We're still a little bit of a ways away from that, and some moves need to be made in order for that to happen. Tanner Hendrickson was just in there with uh, Doug Armstrong, who was speaking with the media after the Thomas extension and the Nick Letty extension. And, and am I understanding this correctly? Did he tell you guys that pretty much never say never, but it doesn't seem likely David Perron's coming back to the Blues? Yeah, the way it sounded from uh, Doug Armstrong and that presser was that it basically sounds like there's not going to be a wiggle room for the Blues to get David Perron back here in St. Louis. He said that with the move with Nick Letty, he did confirm a four-year, uh, $16 million deal for Nick Letty. Uh, he did not confirm anything on the backup goaltender situation yet, but he basically said, you know what it came down to? We had to surefy our defense. We had to commit a little couple more dollars to that than I think they were, may have been expecting, or what? that's what they ultimately decided to do so it sounds like it basically came down to do we shore up our defense with Nick Letty or do we kind of focus that money towards David Perron and it looks like they decided to go with the defense and Nick Letty uh, another thing that stood out to me uh, with the Robert Thomas extension uh, he said he does not do this very often and he said the guys he's done this with in St. Louis are Petrangelo and Vladimir Tarasenko when he locked them up to long-term deals so he's kind of putting Thomas in that elk thinks Thomas can be one of the top centers in the National Hockey League over the next eight years no then, pressure yeah no pressure there <laughs> and then uh, some just smaller moves uh, just the way he was talking, the Blues are still in communication with, he said, with Dakota Joshua and Charlie Lindgren, who are UFAs. Uh, it does sound like, though, that Joshua and Lindgren wanted to test the open market. And if they don't come back, the Blues are working on finding ways to replace those depth pieces. Okay. So that's a uh, little updates from Doug Armstrong's media availability, who I'm assuming is just going right back into the war room and uh, continuing to answer phone calls. From the 636 on our questions and answers on our Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. Alexa, I heard Mark DeRosa talk about the Cardinals going after Shane Bieber at the deadline. Would you like that addition? Yes, I would love it. I am a Shane Bieber. I'm a believer. Are you a believer? As they call it. Yeah, I think he's excellent. The fact that he can eat innings is a, a perfect match and marriage for this team. He He's a guy that is going to fit really well into the culture, too, here in St. Louis. Um I think it's a it's a perfect now the only reason that people would say listen he's not your guy he he's not the Shane Bieber of old yeah but that's okay because St. Louis doesn't need him to be that they need him to be exactly what he is right now and he'll fit well into the rotation by honestly being able to go every fifth day staying healthy and being able to eat some innings for you because as we've seen we believe in this bullpen just got to get there first. Yeah, absolutely. From the 618, if the Blues did go all in for Kachuk, it would be exciting. But would you guys be worried about the long-term future of the franchise? I mean, look, you got a 23-year-old guy who just came off of a 100-plus point season. And hypothetically, in this scenario that the texter is giving us, let's say that they are able to acquire him. So you've got him locked up. You've got Robert Thomas locked up. And again, you've got Shen, you've got Buchnevich, you've got Saad, and more than likely you'll have Ryan O'Reilly. On top of the fact that you've got Pareko, you've got Falk, you've got Letty, you've got Krug, you've got Perunovic, and by the way, depending on what the trade looks like, you've got one of or both neighbors in Bolduc. I don't think there's any concerns about the state of the franchise. Now, cap's going to be tight for a couple of years as it continues to climb, but 
you've got your superstar talents and you've got your core pieces that you'd need. So it's hard to be concerned about a franchise. The concern would be if those guys don't perform to the level that you expect them to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I have a question for you. Is there a chance that it would be a package deal, potentially Tarasenko and another player for Kachuk straight up? I don't think so because I don't think Calgary would want Kachuk. Well, the biggest thing is he's got a no trade clause. I don't think he would agree to go to Calgary. I think he wants an East Coast team. At least that's what the report was last year when it came out. I don't think he would want to go to Calgary. And two, I don't... The way that... um, I believe it was Haley um, Civilian from The Athletic. The way that she put it in her piece today with the Johnny Goudreau news was that if you decide to trade away Kachuk, you've got to be getting something in return that matches the level of competition that Kachuk and or Goudreau provided. You're not going to get that, though. You're not going to get that, unless you're trading like a Jordan Kyrou from your roster. Like, that would be the only player that I could see Calgary looking at and saying, okay, well, at least this is a comp to what we had in Johnny Goudreau to keep our team above water because it's a controllable player. Yeah, but you lost two superstars, and there's no way you're going to replace the equal talent of both of those guys to keep you at the level of competition. So if Vladdy doesn't agree to go there, I I don't, I don't think that, well, obviously, you can't make that move work. But even if he did agree to go there, I think Vladdy might just be a starting point for Calgary. I think Calgary would be looking at much more because, again, it's not just like that's the 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 nearsighted version that some of us have is like, oh, well, he's going to get traded to the St. Louis Blues. Well, Calgary doesn't have to trade him to the St. Louis Blues. They're in the Western Conference, and Calgary doesn't want to have to see him three times a season. Yeah, that's true. They could trade him to the Eastern Conference because an Eastern Conference team, let's say the Detroit Red Wings, I'm just throwing that name out there. There's been no reporting on that. But if Detroit's willing to offer better pieces than St. Louis, well, they're going to go with the better pieces. Then it comes to the unrestricted free agency, and you hope he doesn't sign a long-term extension. So if you want Matthew Kachuk, you're going to have to ante up like other teams are going to ante up to get the player. Yeah, that's a good point, which could also speak to the fact that maybe he's not with the team this year, and it's more of an off-season signing next year rather than a trade before the regular season kicks off. One more before we uh, send it to a break, and then we're going to get to uh, some Cardinals talk on the other side. But from the 3-1-4, guys, how can this Blues team realistically have all of these defensemen? You've got eight guys who could legitimately be playing in the NHL for them. So Grant and I were talking about this during the commercial break, and I'm curious, Alexa and Tanner, your thoughts. you got to have depth on defense. And Grant made a great point in the commercial break with me. He said, you know you've got the depth of scoring. You lose a 20-goal scorer, you've got nine of them. You'll have eight others that can fill that void. What you didn't have was guys to step in when you lost Scandella, when you lost Krug, and when you lost Letty in the playoffs. That's what you've got now. And if I'm reading this quote correctly from Tom Timmerman from the Doug Armstrong availability, he basically said, I got no problem having eight healthy defensemen that could play in the NHL. That's the coach's problem to deal with. Now, that could be Doug Armstrong talk. But Callie Rosen, Nico Mikola, Marco Scandella, Robert Bortuzzo, those are depth pieces. And then I think you've used four of the five of Perunovic, Krug, Letty, Pareko, Falk. I don't think it's a bad thing to have. I just think it's a lot of bodies to have for one position. Yeah, I think somebody gets moved, honestly, if if I'm really thinking about it. But that's just my opinion. I have no idea. Um, but it, it seems like a lot of bodies in order to figure out ice time. It was a good point, though, in terms of if guys go down, what are you going to do when they aren't healthy to be able to, you know, put a a great group of guys on the ice? 
that's another question mark that they're going to have to answer. But I, I, to me, it just feels like reading the tea leaves that there is another move coming here where one of those guys gets shipped out of town. I just I feel like Doug's got something up his sleeve still. Yeah, Army didn't say he was done with the defense just yet, but he did seem to act as if he was happy with the depth that they have. Again, that could have just been the front office talk for playing some hard game uh, with maybe there's somebody that he is looking to move. But Army did seem to have didn't mind even having those eight guys, but he did say he wouldn't confirm he was done with the moves on the defensive side either. Yeah, there, there's there's more that's going to happen, and it's not just today. Um, and, of course, we've got you covered here until 2 o'clock at the Centene Community Ice Center. And then the Fast Lane's got you covered for the rest of the day today up until 6 o'clock. Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a break. When we come back, let's talk Cardinals because that game last night felt like a playoff game. And the bullpen, boy, are they set up for something like that. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin, and audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. All right, full disclosure, guys. Last night, Packy Naughton made me wake up my child. <laughs> She's sleeping in the other room. Packy Naughton in the seventh inning enters with the bases loaded and nobody out. He gets out of that inning. That strikeout, I verbally stood up and screamed. And then, of course, my daughter starts crying in the other room. <laughs> but it was well worth it because that Alexa, and along with Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario, felt like a playoff game. I mean, you even up a series against the Phillies, and then you take on the Dodgers, a Dodgers team that's in the midst of a long win streak. They had won nine of their previous 10 games, running away with it in the NL West, although San Diego is still keeping their head above water. And you go out and do that performance. That, to me, was... Uh, that was a win that we haven't seen for a few weeks from this Cardinals squad. It was the best win of the Cardinals season, Absolutely. hands down. It's a huge testament to this team that is injury-riddled, they're exhausted, they're limping into the All-Star break to take on basically your David and Goliath in this situation yeah. and say, we're going to come out with a victory. It was enormous. Also, Packy Naughton, Pack Daddy, Pack as I like Daddy. to call him. Listen, he, he just, it was so elated and excited in the clubhouse afterwards. He's just got this sense of confidence. And before he was sent down, he said, you know what? I'm going to make a big difference. I'm going to make an impact with this team. You watch. And Ollie was like, okay, <laughs> we'll give you the chance. And he has. And the fact that he has been so successful, he has stranded all nine inherited runners I know. this wow. season. I heard Dan say that last night and I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. You also have the rest of the team during that half inning laying their bodies on the line for packing on. Yeah, Nolan Arenado rolls into the Dodgers dugout to catch that ball. Kisner almost stuffed his face in the green seats in order to get. (laughs) I mean, it was only a net between him and whoever was sitting in the front row, Nelly. 
perhaps. That's true. Who, by, by the way, showed up and basically became the star of the game. Yeah, who he brought all the magic. That's true. I mean, you get the sage from Michaelis That's one right. day, and then you get Nelly the next day. That turns things around. But I'm glad you brought up the the bullpen, Alexa, because the offense once again, the bottom of your order came through once again. Yep. You get Corey Dickerson with a big hit, Andrew Kisner with a big hit. Those guys are are playing very well for you right now. But the bullpen. The bullpen is as locked in as I have seen it all season long. And in all reality, I know we joke around a lot about it with our circle of trust where we pretty much induct everybody into it. Hey, the more the merrier. But, <laughs> I mean, watching this bullpen, and look, it was a little shaky for, for um, Fernandez. It was a little shaky for Giovanni Gallegos. But with the way that this is built up, I mean, this bullpen is built for the playoffs with Oviedo and Hicks and Helsley and a little of Gallegos, but now with Packy Naughton and you've got Henesis Cabrera, and then when you hopefully acquire a starting pitcher or Flaherty and Mats are back, you've got Andre Pallante going into the bullpen. Like, that is a dangerous weapon for a playoff run that a team absolutely needs. Gavin Lux comes into the game, sees 103 on the gun from Ryan Helsley, Woof. and basically doesn't know what to do with it. Betts was beside himself. He's trying to blame the strikes on him. Dude, those are right down the middle of the plate. Get the bat off your shoulder. It was amazing watching Ryan Helsley work last night. By the way, and then David Price comes in. You're like, where's this guy been? I remember when I wanted David, David Price? Price on this team. David Price? I thought that was hilarious. Kisner took a advantage of David Price being in that game with that RBI single. But it was, you know, listen, Gallegos a little shaky. I understand people slightly concerned. It's a situation where they need some rest. Mm -hmm. The All-Star break is going to serve this team better than almost any other team in baseball. Get those guys back from injury. Get your starting outfield back together, that trio. And then go down and and have a blast down the stretch run. Make it into the run for the postseason. And, and you know, Ollie talked to at the beginning of the year when he was hired. You know, he said, I'm going to try to bring these new philosophies to the Cardinals. He's going to be kind of the newer school manager. And I love the way that Ollie managed that game last night because – I know a lot of people don't like the opener, but it made sense when you look at Matthew Libertor. They wanted to try and avoid him facing those top right-handed guys for the Dodgers, and they basically wanted him to see the lineup once, if at anything, twice, and they were able to get that to plan. I like the idea of opening with Jordan Hicks, come with the gas from Jordan Hicks for the inning in two-thirds. By the way, did you like that he came out of the bullpen? Yeah. That was my favorite I, part. I, I like how he comes like, out of the bullpen. The routine, that's man. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I like the fact I know a lot of people would say, and I understand that Gallegos is kind of we're kind of sitting on pins and needles now with Giovanni Gallegos because he's kind of had his struggles of late. But I do like the fact of the matter that Ollie did decide to go with Ryan Helsley in that eighth inning because he was getting Lux, and then, of course, he gets the top of the order. And you get Betts and Turner, and you want your best right-handed arm, your best high-leverage arm in Ryan Helsley to go up against some of their best right-handed bats. I don't mind that. And honestly, had the, I think he saved him. Helsley's been used a lot of late, and had, had he been – we're in a situation where, like, the Reds were coming to town the next day. I think you would have seen Helsley pitch that ninth inning, but I think he wants to save him a little bit for this series as well. I think Ollie really wants to take two or three against the L.A. Dodgers and come off of a stretch in which we were talking about, you know, maybe this is a tough stretch for the Cardinals. Maybe they're going to just barely coast through it with the Braves, the Phillies, uh, the Phillies again, and then the Dodgers. And right now they're kind of turning things around. They're actually looking like they're going to come out of this stretch right around that 500 mark, maybe better. And I, I think with the way he handled that game last night, I thought Ollie managed that to perfection. I, I was really impressed with the way that Ollie Marmol was able to manage that game last night. And you know, my, I love my boy Packy Not, and I I've been big on him for the well, last. You say month you love him, so. but you didn't even know that he was still on the team. <laughs> for some okay, for some reason, I confused him with Zach Thompson, even though we talked about it just the other day when Ferrario texts me a little peek behind the curtain. Ferrario texts me goes. 
oh, I can't believe Notton got out of that bases loaded jam. I responded and went, Notton, he's even up with the club? I, for some reason, <laughs> March 21st my mind. doesn't stand <laughs> out as a date when they claimed him it, off waivers. It just, it just did not cross my mind. But I, I do like Packy Notton coming out of the bullpen. And you look at his <clears throat> season so far, only one run of all the earned runs that he has given up has come in relief. The rest were when he made those spot starts when he was kind of his version of the opener when the Cardinals needed them. I love this text. And this text is spot on from the 618. This team is playing like th- like they want their front office to make a blockbuster deal. And that's what we said last week when they were scuffling. I mean, the three of us with BK basically said, like, if you play like this the rest of the way, John Mozeliak might be forced to not make a move because the team's not giving him. It's not showing him like, hey, we need you to make a blockbuster deal. But for how exhausted the team has been saying this squad is, Alexa, to go out there and to muster up that victory where your guy that you were hoping to get more innings out of only gave you two and a third in Matthew Libertor, that was a gritty win that you can look to your front office and say, okay, we've got this for you. And also, your offense comes up big. I mean, what, you scored five runs in nine games or six games, I believe, and you've scored 14 in your last three. I know it's a small sample size, and I'm still skeptical, but to score that many runs in two games against the Phillies and one against the Dodgers, at least that's more impressive than what we saw the six games prior. These guys take pride in the fact that they go in there and they get their jo- the job done. And when the bottom of the lineup is performing, it lengthens this lineup so significantly, which is such a huge piece for this team. I mean, Kisner said it last night. And Kisner, I mean, it had been, what, a month since he had an RBI? And it was his first multi-RBI game since the, the middle of of May, I believe. So mm-hmm. for him to come through, it was so impressive to see. And also for those guys to, to really start igniting the rest of the team. Well, listen, we've got guys who are hurt, who are struggling right now. We're going to step up in a big way. You're right. It does send a big message, but I want to give a little bit of love to Gallegos for a second. Being the closer on an MLB team, when it's not an official role of yours, it's any given night you're the closer, doing the toughest job getting the final three outs. He's done a pretty good job. And last night coming in, the fact that he gives up that solo shot to Freeman, everyone's worried at first. But Freddie Freeman is one of the best hitters in the National League. That dude crushes fastballs. He gets Will Smith looking, freezes him. Justin Turner strikes out. Okay, you walk Max Muncy. That's what Max Muncy does. He's literally in the lineup to walk. He never swings. He never swings. He just walks. And then Jake Lamb flies out as a pinch hitter. That's an excellent job for me against a really tough lineup in a situation where it's a big win for the Cardinals and he's able to close the door. Yeah, if you flip that and let's say Gallegos got the eighth inning and Helsley got the ninth inning, I think you'd be a lot more stressed out than what you were last night because Helsley got through the biggest part of that order. That's right. Gallegos did have to go up one of their best hitters in Freddie Freeman, but he got the back end of that. And that's Ali Marmol's speech. He's always said he's not going to go the prototypical closer. He's going to do the best pitcher in the best spot. And that was Ryan Helsley because if you flip that last night, Helsley's probably pitching in the ninth inning if Mookie Betts is coming up to the plate and Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner. But instead, they got Freddie Freeman and then the next couple of guys. It just made the most sense. Yeah. You, you play to the matchups at this point. I, I got a question for you guys on the bullpen. I think BK asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, and I, I started thinking about it last night, seeing that bullpen game from the Cardinals against the Dodgers. But when you look at how the bullpen is shaped right now, do you, do you think this bullpen – as currently constructed, and again, they may make changes when it gets to the deadline or something may occur with an injury or something along those lines. Do you think this bullpen right now is better than the bullpen that they went into the playoffs with last year? As currently constructed or like moving? As it's currently constructed. Because I think they need Andre Pallante 
to be in that spot. See, I don't even think they need Palante in the bullpen. I think this bullpen's already well, they're shown deeper. me it's yeah. deeper and better than it was last year. And look, that bullpen was really good heading into that playoff series. I mean, you had TJ McFarlane, who's in the bullpen now, and we'll see if he can get back to where he was last year. He was really good for them. Luis Garcia was unbelievable for them after a first couple of rough outings for the Cardinals. I think last year they were running about five guys deep when they got into the playoffs. I'll go six. I think Cody Whitley was trustable or trustworthy to bring him into the playoffs uh, last year. So they were running about six guys deep. I, I think this bullpen is even deeper than that. I mean, we're talking about, I know Zach Thompson's getting stretched out in the minors, but if you had to call him up to come in the bullpen, you would trust Zach Thompson. Andre Pallante, if he gets moved back to the bullpen, I would trust him as well. I think this is the deepest that this bullpen has been in a while, and I think it's even deeper than it was last year. I love Junior Fernandez, and you have a healthy Ryan Helsley. That is a huge difference. The fact that he is trusting his stuff because he can land on that knee is a world of difference and you see it in his demeanor you see it in his stuff his performance honestly he's just so much more relaxed because he is healthy and can go out there and fire 103 miles per hour when you have him and Jordan Hicks as weapons that the other team has to see to me both coming out of the pen I think it's a better pen I'm with you guys uh, I'll make it a clean sweep because I think the pen is much better. It's much deeper, and you've got a lot more quality arms than what you had last season uh, for this Cardinals squad. So they got a 7-6 victory last night. Back at it tonight with Adam Wainwright on the mound and Alexa Dad, of course, on the pre- and post games for Bally Sports Midwest. Tanner Hendrickson here also. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, what's the plan look like for this Blues team defensively? We now know that Nick Letty is locked up to a four-year, $16 million contract. What does that mean moving forward? We'll get into that in 15, but coming up next, more likely to happen. You send us the scenarios. I have to imagine a lot of Matthew Kachuk ones. We will tell you which one is more likely to happen. That's next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, yeah. That you have a good, good voice. Thanks, Alexa. See, T-Bone, try and compliment me every once in a while. Yeah, I was going to say, Damn. that one sounded as good I as work, yesterday. I work <laughs> with people who hate me, but I'm glad Alexa Dat's in studio. We got Tanner Hendrickson here as well. It is more likely to happen. You send us your scenarios on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. I will tell you which one is more likely to happen. And let's start with this because we knew it was going to happen. From the 618 Alexa, more likely to happen. The Blues, Doug Armstrong, pulls off a Matthew Kachuk a Kachuk trade before the start of the season or John Mozeliak trades for a big time starter before the trade deadline. I think the Cardinals making a move for a starter is more likely yeah. for sure. It's a bigger need. You see the desperation in the starting pitchers who actually recently have held up pretty well. But when you have to throw out a bullpen game against the best team in the national league and you're fighting and clawing your way to these victories down the stretch before the all-star break, you desperately need a starting pitcher that can come in and give you innings. Obviously, with the news of Jack Flaherty going on the 60-day IL, that's a even more of an indication that this is something that, that's a, a bigger need for the Cardinals. Surprisingly, I'm going to agree with Alexa. I do, I do think it's more likely that the Cardinals make the trade for a high-end starting pitcher over Matthew Kachuk. I just think there's a... As much as we talk and stir the pot that think Matthew Kachuk could happen and connecting all of the dots, there are a lot of pieces that have to make that work, and you have to have the pieces to make that trade 
meet Calgary's needs unless Matthew just says, I want out, and then they have to trade him for nothing. The Cardinals have the pieces in place. We've talked about it. Alec Burleson. You've got all of these guys who are now top 100 prospects. You have the weapons to go out there and make the trade for Frankie Montas or to go out there and make the trade. Maybe it is for Tyler Malley from the Cincinnati Reds, or maybe you go bigger than that. But you've got the pieces for that. So I think that's more likely uh, than the Matthew Kachuk thing. See, I think it's more likely it's the Matthew Kachuk trade. I, I'm just not convinced that the Cardinals are going to go make that big move to go get a top-end starter because I think there's going to be a very high asking price. And we know that the Cardinals are very protective of all their prospects that are in their system. I know that I sit here and I say I would look at dealing Alec Burleson because I think there's an outfield log jam. I know I would look at dealing Matthew Libertor because I just don't see the full upside as him as the top 50 prospect. To me, he's more of a left-handed Luke Weaver. But the Cardinals, I think, still view him highly. And as we've gone through the Cardinals' top 30 list before, I, I think we can add more untouchables to that list than you can uh, guys that are touchable. So I'm going to say it's more likely it's the Kachuk deal. Army has proven before that he can make things work. I, I'm just going to have to trust it. Trust in Army. I don't really have that much trust in Mo to think he's going to go get a starter. But you have a plethora of prospects and rookies for the Cardinals, and you don't have enough places to play them. So if you have all this abundance of talent that you've spent resources on developing in the farm system and you're just going to let them hang on the bench, I don't feel I, like that's the best place for them. Why not trade and make a move? It's more likely because they have the resources. I agree with Alex. See, I, I agree with you. I, I would go make that move. I it just To me, it does not feel like the Cardinals type move of them. Hold, they just seem to hold on to Cardinals prospects because I'm with you. I think they need the top end starter. I, I would be willing to package some prospects to go and get a, whether it be Frankie Montas or even a Luis Castillo who's in the division or Pablo Lopez if you had to be really aggressive and go get that guy. I would be willing to do it. I just, for some reason, don't feel like the Cardinals feel it. I think they view it as a need. I think they're, they're kind of, their mind may change depending on how Steven Matz looks when he comes back. From the 314 on more likely to happen, send yours over to us on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. I don't know why I said it like that. 780. More <laughs> likely to happen. Tory Krug or Vladimir Tarasenko plays for the Blues all of this season. Wow. And you can't say both, Alexa. That's the stipulations. I'll start this one off for you, though. I think it's more likely that Vladimir plays for the Blues this season. Yeah. I, we're going to get into this in our next segment. I just don't know what the plan is defensively. And I understand Doug's sentiment of like, yeah, we can play with eight defensemen and that, like, that's fine. And you need that many defensemen to win a Stanley Cup. But that many defense, I mean, you have legitimately three right-handed defensemen and five left-handed defensemen. Now, somebody could play on the right side. I don't think that's smart because we've seen that in the past and it doesn't work. So I just think in terms of trade value, Vladdy's probably going to get more than Tory Krug, but Tory Krug is locked up. But I just think trade purposes, you're going to have to move one of those defensemen to help elsewhere. I do agree with you because of the plethora. And listen, Doug Armstrong, I believe him when he says he likes having eight guys who are healthy and that depth is the coach's problem. But it also provides you with an opportunity to bring something else in here to help build this team closer towards a championship competitor. And Vladimir Tarasenko has said before that he doesn't want to be here. We haven't heard that recently, though, and he played well this season. He was outstanding. He competed. He acted like he wanted to be there. So for for me, this is a, this is a tough one. Yeah. It's, it's just a difficult one. But and, and I know we can't say both. I know. In all reality, it does feel like both, it does feel like could both. play this season yeah. until next season. 
But if you had to pick one, I, I think that's the more likely one. I'm leaning towards Krug, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards Krug as well. I, I, I just feel like that's the writing on the wall. I, I, I'm with you guys. Yeah. A uh, couple more to get to. More likely to happen from the 3-1-4. More likely to happen. Doug's next move is for a fourth liner or for a top six winger. I think it's going to be more likely that it's a four, uh, a fourth liner. That's his next move. Like Doug notoriously on the first day of free agency is a low level signing. So where it's like, why did you sign this guy? Like I remember a few years ago, the, the, the move was Kyle Clifford. People were like, why is that who you're signing right now? And people were like, that's a terrible move. And then lo and behold, later it would be Mike Hoffman that was signed. Now Mike Hoffman didn't work out. But this is how it goes. Neither did Clifford. But (laughs) this is how it goes. You sign the guys that you can sign, and then you go for the big fish as free agency continues. Because the the matter of the fact is, when other teams are trying to get big players, like Calgary, they lose Goudreau. They're going to try and go for Nazem Kadri. And if they can't get Nazem Kadri, well, then what are they going to do? Teams get desperate. And when they get desperate, they call teams that have the assets that they want, and they're willing to give up a lot more. So I, I, I think it's more likely that they get a fourth liner in the next move before it's that big move that people are hoping for. Because Doug Armstrong is more of a snowball slowly rolling down the hill, gaining steam type of a GM. So to me, that makes more sense. Do they really need, in terms of what they need, is it a fourth liner over that winger, though? Because you've got Robert Thomas locked up, right? Great net front presence. He is a bully on the glass. And then you've got... Well, if it's not Vladimir Tarasenko, who's your finisher? Yeah. Who's your guy on that line that's going to scoop that puck up and put it in the back of the net because Robert Thomas is going to shovel it to you? I don't know. That That's the, the biggest question to be asked right now. Where does Vladimir Tarasenko play next season? Yeah, with Vladdy on this team now, team's in still a really good spot. Yeah, you lose David Perron, but you've got other guys who can step up and hopefully fill that void for you. If you trade away Vladdy, then you're in a little bit of trouble unless you're getting something back in this circumstance. Yeah, I think right now I'm going to say more likely the fourth liner is kind of the next move that's coming because Army was very kind of, he was asked about the fourth line during his presser, and he said he kind of like dodged the question, which makes me think he has something that might be in the works. And that's what that's why I'm leaning towards that fourth line roles because just the way army was kind of reacting in his press conference seeing his facial expressions him kind of pausing kind of stumbling around to find what the answer is going to be for that question on the fourth line it made me think that he may be looking to add somebody to the fourth line who that is i'm not sure tanner was he wearing sleeves no he actually went polo today polo today and we, then, uh, there was, we saw a hoodie doug armstrong yesterday and i have not seen a hoodie doug armstrong I think in a while I own the well same in hoodie that hoodie army. in that hoodie was the trick the trick was up that sleeve. Oh, yeah, it's up the sleeve. But it's polo today. I see what you were doing. Did you, you see were, what I'm doing? You were trying to get that, but T-Bone just he left you out to dry for I'm it. Sorry. He just yeah, straight up was like, it. polo shirt. On, I'm, not got, good, I'm not good at thinking. This is what I'm talking about. Polo. This is what I'm coming. You see how she complimented my singing? You got to work for your teammates here, T-Bone. <laughs> uh, by the way, there is some news correlated with the Blues. They have made it official that Thomas Grice is uh, signing as the backup goaltender. $1.25 million contract is what it is. And... Dakota Joshua has signed a two-year contract with the Vancouver Canucks. Wow. So the fourth that goes into more of the fourth-line conversation, the fourth-line player. And for those of you who don't know, Dakota Joshua was a unrestricted free agent, but it was like a UFA level six because 
he played enough time at the NHL or in the pro hockeys to be labeled as a UFA, but he wasn't labeled like a normal UFA because he didn't have the NHL games underneath his belt. But regardless, he was not a restricted free agent. He was an unrestricted. So he signs a two-year deal with Vancouver Canucks, and that takes a depth piece away from the fourth line, which goes into what we were just speaking about. Alexa Dett, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario. That was more likely to happen. We've got the junk drawer in 15 minutes, but coming up next, we now know that Nick Letty is in the fold for the next four years. We've talked a lot about it, but what is the plan going to be defensively? Does it make sense to make a trade? We'll get into that and some of the other news around the NHL coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at Centene Community Ice Center during Blues Prospect Camp and during the start of free agency. Already 49 signings have taken place and a total of $125 million have been paid out according to Cap Friendly. <laughs> what a day it is in the National Hockey League, although it's nothing compared to when the NBA goes into free agency mode. Yeah. But the Blues have made news, and you heard Grand Francis' Sports Center update with the Blues re-signing Robert Thomas to that eight-year contract extension, signing Thomas Grice to the backup role, and the one that I think shocked all of us happened at the beginning of the show, Nick Letty signing a four-year contract worth $4 million per year. And that brings the question, the biggest question I think that's going to take place from now until the start of the season, what is the plan for the Blues defensively we've talked a lot about it already Alexa that the Blues have five guys on the left side three guys on the right side and trying to figure out how how all of these play into but Alexa you made a great point during the commercial break the Blues move with Nick Letty just I I don't want to say it seems like they settled because that that seems poor to say about Nick Letty who played very well for them in the playoffs and was absolutely what they needed but it's not what the desire was for the team and from the fan base going into the trade deadline last year. It was the big defenseman that could skate, that could be a part of the offense, but could also be good in front of his own net. And Nick Letty is not a big defenseman. The Chickrens, the Lindholms, people wanted Ben Sherratt, although I'm glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> you didn't get that guy, and it seems like you're not going to be getting that guy now Now that you've locked up Nick Letty for a four-year contract extension. It wasn't the sexy move. Yes. He did exactly what he was expected to do and no more. And now he's here for four years and will be expected to do just exactly how he has performed. Right? We're not saying here, okay, this is going to revolutionize the defense. We're locking a guy up to have consistency and stability and someone you can count on and you can trust, somebody who's been healthy, who has playoff experience. But now the question is, what do you do with Pareko, Falk, Krug? Yeah. Now, I believe that all three have no trade clauses. Am I correct about that? Yes, all three, no trade clauses. But obviously, Doug Armstrong has worked around that before. We've Not seen a problem. That. Yeah. Uh, he, he can handle... Almost anything. I would trust him with that. Uh, hey, if you can trade Yuri Laterra for Braden Shen, you can do whatever <laughs> you want in the National Hockey League. It's a good point. It's a good point. So it's really about now finding this, the room for what you're going to do to see if you can open up a spot 
to potentially ship one of those guys out. I don't think it's Pareko. I think Falk would be shocking. Krug seems like the most likely situation. Yeah, that that seems to be the next point of play. And again, Tanner, you were in with Doug Armstrong, who basically talked about, you know, the, at least it seems to you, Tinfoil, that there's still something else at work on the defensive side. Although Doug did tell the media that he is perfectly fine with having eight defensemen going into this upcoming season. Yeah, he did say that they were perfectly fine with having eight defensemen. And he said, uh, quote, that's Barubi's kind of job to worry about and who's going to be scratched in that. So, but I, I do still have a sense that they are going to be making a move defensively. I don't know what it is necessarily. I, I don't think there's... Uh, I, I find it interesting that Krug's name continues to pop up in all the trade rumors. Yeah, and what you mean uh, by that is Kevin Weeks, Kevin Weeks on Spit and Chicklets. on Spit and Chicklets podcast uh, ye- yesterday, I believe is when it was. So I, there, there's got to be smoke to that fire. I, I don't know how serious those conversations are, but if you were going to go make a move and like go get a bigger defenseman, which we were talking about in the break, like do you still need to become a bigger team on that left side with, say, a Jacob Chikrin? Would you be moving Krug out, get that money out, and go acquire Chikrin? I think the Chikrin dream's over. I, I think if the Blues were actually going to go and get Jacob Chikrin, they would have done that already. I, I just think the asking price is too high, uh, especially because there are other teams that were invested in that conversation. And honestly, the Coyotes may be holding on to him because they didn't get what they were looking for at the draft, and they may just do it up until the trade deadline. So I, I think the Blues might be taking some conversations on maybe potentially moving a defenseman, but it wouldn't completely shock me, though, if this is what their defensive core is going to be heading into this year. Here's a question I have for you, though, because Nick Letty not particularly strong on the power play, right? Tory Krug is your power play quarterback. Mm-hmm. You believe in him, you trust in him, and you're going to ship him out. So that is, those are two big hits to your power play unit. When I covered the Capitals, and they had one of the worst back in the day, one of the worst power play units, it was a struggle. You are watching this team just absolutely implode game after game. It has been a strength for the St. Louis Blues, and I think fans might take it for granted a little bit because the puck movement is excellent. They score on the power play. Their power play percentage is strong. If you don't have that defensively, who do you turn to? Yeah, and that's why I think it comes down to Kruger Perunovic. I don't think you can have both on this team with Nick Letty. I I think you turn to Nick Letty. Nick Letty did the power play with the New York Islanders and was good at it. I'm surprised that they didn't use him uh, in the playoffs in that role, but they just must not have liked Nick Letty on that power play. They had Krug and Falk and then, of course, Perunovic. Falk can play the power play, but Falk is such a penalty killer on your team. But that goes into how many guys are you going to be playing in every night because if you've got... Mikola or Scandella in the lineup. Well, they can be penalty killers, and the penalty kill time takes away penalty kill time for Falk, which means more power play time. But I think to answer your question and not get sidetracked for me is it comes down to Kruger Perunovic. I think one of those two has to become a trade piece. Perunovic is a restricted free agent, and of course they've qualified his offer, so it goes to arbitration unless they sign him. Krug's under contract. Who's more appealing right now? If you're a team that is in a little bit of a rebuild, Perunovic is more appealing. But Mm -hmm. if you're a team that wants to compete, Krug is more appealing. I just personally, and I have no information on this other than just me believing this, I just believe it's hard for me to look at this team and say they're going to commit a total of $28.5 million as it stands currently to their defensemen, and you're going to probably add another $2.5-$3 million with restricted free agency to Nico Mikola and Scott Perunovic. There's... 
there's no way I can believe that they're going to have $31.5 million of their cap committed to all of these defensemen. And, and I found it interesting. Uh, Army mentioned in his presser, too, he said, you know, you look at where we were in the playoffs and we were basically down to our 10th defenseman, it's not necessarily that bad to have uh, eight guys that we we're not. talking about on the roster, but I'm kind of with you. I He did say that it kind of came down to allocating money towards the defense over the offense. At least that's how it stands right now, and that's why – he didn't specifically say this, but it's me connecting the dots that it essentially seemed like it came down to Nick Letty or David Perron, and they decided to go with Nick Letty. But I'm with you. I, I just don't know if they're going to continue to have that much dedicated towards their defensive core. Maybe it is somebody they move. He said that they're still working on deals with Prunovich and Mikula. He said they had offers out there for them. So I would expect that those two are probably going to get whatever their contract term is going to be here in the next, I'd say, before probably the end of the day or the end of the day tomorrow. So he's going to get those guys locked up. And then I, I just don't know what you do with that much money going towards the defense. I will be interested to see. I saw a text come in from the 636. There's literally zero chance the Blues are trading Tory Krug. I don't know. I, I don't think I, – I truly believe that it's not uh, just nothing that we yeah, hear. The that last time I out. said there was literally no chance that – Something could happen with Doug Armstrong. I said there's literally no chance they can move on from Yori Laterra, and they found a way to. So uh-huh. I'm just not going to believe that. Now, one of the big questions that we're seeing from a lot of people is asking what the cap space looks like right now because people are saying, like, do you have to basically trade somebody away to do any more moves? No, as a matter of fact, they have a projected, according to Cap Friendly, projected $4.8 million still available to them on the cap. But they have Mikel and Perunovic who are restricted free agents who will probably get somewhere between a million and a million and a half, which only leaves you about a million and a million and a half to make some work done on the fourth line. So in all reality, there's got to be another move coming here. But if not, let's go down the hypothetical path that there is not. And your offseason truly is a fourth liner, Thomas Grice, and Nick Letty. Is it really that bad of an offseason for many people? Because I don't think it is. As much as it sucks because Matthew Kachuk's name's been out there and you're wondering if Chikrin's going to come and maybe you're going to trade this and you do lose David Perron, but you still have eight 20-plus goal scorers and you're still keeping Vladimir Tarasenko, who could have himself a career year going into free agency, and your defense now, although I wouldn't call it stacked, is deep. So I'm not I'm not sitting here acting like they're the second best team in the Western Conference with just that offseason, but I don't sit here and believe that this becomes a team that might not make the playoffs because of their offseason. I don't know. It's a big question mark for yeah. me. I don't think enough was done. Because think about it, you also lost Huso, which was a crucial part for this team down the stretch. When Bennington wasn't playing well, Huso stepped in, pushed Bennington to be better, filled in when he was hurt, and Huso, when he was playing, was the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. So because he was basically covering up any other mistakes, those mistakes now get exposed with Huso out the door. Yeah. You also then don't have Charlie Lindgren as your option to have a good time with Chucky Cyber and yeah. to bring him up and, and you know celebrate what he's been doing in the AHL. But for me, I, I think more needs to be done for you to compete with Colorado and Minnesota and for you to, to really stick your neck out there and say, well, we want to be a contender again next year, so there's another move that we need to make. I'm kind of in the same vote as Alexa. I, I It just feels like kind of a blah offseason, in my opinion. To me, you've gotten worse offensively by losing David Prawn. You don't really find a replacement for him, and, and maybe they add that fourth liner that you're talking about. But 
And I'm not really going to sit here and say that I'm expecting Ivan Barbashev to be another have the same career year that he had last year. I think you'll see Barbie take a bit of a step back. Uh, so I, I think you're losing two potential 20-goal scorers there, and I get it. You still have seven in, in this conversation. And then defensively, I'm not sure you got much better. I mean, there's a reason they were talking about Jacob Chikrin is because he was going to make that defensive core really good, one of the best potentially in the NHL. And look, Letty was fine when he got here. I, I don't have issues with bringing back Nick Letty, uh, but I, I just think you could have taken a bigger step with the defense that you're looking at. And I have questions about Grice at goaltender backing up Jordan Bennington. When you look at his numbers in Detroit, I know Grant's selling me on that he it's a good pickup for the Blues. Hey, he won a Jennings not, Trophy, I heard, man. I heard. I, I got I am, you, Grant. I am not completely convinced, though, that he's the guy that's going to be able to push Jordan Bennington. <laughs> See, Grice and, is... and here's the thing for me, though. The fact that I'm kind of questioning this makes me really know that something else I, I is know. coming. That's why, it's that's not an army offseason. I told yeah. Alexa that in a commercial break. Like, that's how I am. I sit here and I feel like this is awful, and then I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to get on Twitter, and then, boom, Matthew Kachuk's a Blues. And I'll be like, ah, oh, see, why did I even question this? <laughs> I did a damn segment yesterday saying, are we really going to question Doug Armstrong, but yet I'm still doing it. Grice isn't even the one that concerns me. Nick Letty's the one that concerns me. That, that's the one that I think, and going back to the way we started this segment, that's the one that I think I'm the most skeptical about, just because it's four years for a 32-year-old defenseman who, yes, he's a top pairing, or he's a top four guy, but is he really better than Tory Krug, which you already have? Because that's what you're essentially looking for. You're looking for a better option than Tory Krug because you want that guy to play with Colton Pareko. Is Nick Letty that? I don't believe so. That's why we keep saying over and over again There's that there gotta be has else. to be something else. I feel like I'm watching National Treasure with Nicolas Cage and waiting for the next <laughs> map piece to come I, out. I will say this, though. I wonder if the Blues... For, so I said this after... The, the regular season ended with the Nick Letty. You know, everybody kept saying, well, they got to go get that big and strong, that just big body to keep guys away from the front of the net. And Nick Letty wasn't that. Nick Letty, what was he brought in for? Because I agree. Exiting it, the puck. It was exiting, yeah. exiting the zone with good puck movement. And it was kind of something that we didn't expect that was what the Blues were going to do. And it was kind of, to me, I comped it to what the Cardinals did. They went and got guys that were going to play to their defense. It wasn't the high-end guys like the Chikrin that we were talking about for the Blues defensively. Got kind of this guy that nobody was expecting, brought him in, and he did what you were looking for, a guy that could get it the puck out of the skill that we didn't know that we needed until we got it. And I think that the Blues saw that, how he played in the regular season and saw how the Blues reacted to that and they just said, you know what, instead of just deciding to go with that big name that's out there on the market, we saw how well this was for our team and how effective it was. Let's go ahead and talk with Nick Letty and bring him back. And I think that's what the Blues decided to do. It's not the big sexy name, I get it, but I I think it is essentially just, hey, that's the skill set that the Blues were missing last year. We saw how good it was once it got here to St. Louis. Let's go ahead and just keep that here and then we'll just stick with the defensive group that we have i don't know i'm not happy right now but maybe i'll be happier by the end of you this just told show me it was a good off season. i lied to myself i think <laughs> alexa dat tanner hendrickson and alex ferrario i'll tell you what's going to make us all happy the junk drawer and it comes your way next year on 101 espm we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN along with Alexa Dat in for BK and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario here at our ENB Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. Blues Prospect Camp, Blues Free Agency is underway. And we dive into the junk drawer now as we hand things over to T-Bone. 
Well, you know, we always joke around that uh, when people see me, they always say I look like I'm 15. And Literally, we had E&B Granite individuals, employees that came out here to look at the studio and to just say hi. And they said, wow. First words out of their mouth, Lexi, you can confirm this. They looked at Tim and they said, wow. You really are. You really do look like you're 15 years old in yep. person. <laughs> and, and one of the security guards here the other day, while I was with Jr., thought I was Jr.'s son. So you know, but I'm not the only one that has that issue. And are you sure? I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if you guys saw this story that came out. Uh, I believe it was late last night that this was released. But Simone Biles, uh, she's the Olympic gymnast as we know, and she is 25 years old. So she's just a little bit older than me. She was on a flight. Uh, and on that flight, a flight attendant came up to her and thought that she was just a young child and asked if she wanted a coloring book for the trip on the oh flight. My what? God. I've never had that occur, and I've been on a couple planes, never been offered a coloring book, and never had something like that. But I can't even imagine what the thought process was for Simone Biles on that. I'm guessing it wasn't a, an adult coloring book. Like, that's a, no. a color therapy type of way to ease her anxiety yeah, on the it was flight. probably like one of those like Disney coloring books and she's probably like would you like your coloring book would you like to stay oh, in between the lines like could you imagine first of all how did you not know that that was Simone Biles and that's my that's what I thought too like, like I mean I know you're a flight attendant and maybe you're just like out of it for a while because you're on a plane 24-7 but like how do you not know that that's Simone Biles yeah she's one of the best I mean she is the most well-known gymnast uh, she was in the headlines, what, a year I mean, ago for Michael the Olympics? By like, the way, yeah. what a humbling experience. You received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. <laughs> was she flying back the White House? Yes. Oh, my God. And then, and then you're offered some Crayola crayons. Could you imagine? She uh, has to go through I'd that. Like, like, I'd be like, bro, check the medal around yeah. my neck. Are you serious no, right now? No, sorry. My medal's too heavy for me to actually use a coloring book. <laughs> I, I, I wish you would have said to the flight attendant, no. Before you ask that question again, I want you to look at me. Yeah, and think, look at me. Think who I remind <laughs> think really you of. really hard. <laughs> do I remind you of anybody? She's not the only one, though. Like, do, do you ever go out to restaurants or something and they, like, you, you know how they, like. So, Are you saying you've been offered a coloring book? Before? No, I haven't been offered a coloring book, but, like, I get called hun at restaurants a lot. And that bothers the hell out it of does? me. It does? I don't know why. My wife, all the time, she's like, why does, why does that bug you? I said, I don't know, because it makes me feel like I'm a child. Like, oh, yeah, we'll be right back oh, with your I, milk, hun. I like, no. Well, if you got milk. No, yeah. I didn't get milk. I'm just well, that's saying. What you just said. I'm saying. I'm using it as a as an example. I don't drink milk was when I go out to restaurants. Was it in a sippy cup? Because yeah. I think that it was. See, that's how I feel when she calls me hun. <laughs> but that's more of a term of endearment. Yeah, isn't it hun. like southern ha hospitality? Right. I call guys... everyone bro. My mom's like, you need to stop calling me bro. That's inappropriate. It's because <laughs> it's crossed a line at this point. I say it to everyone, and at this point. It's, it's gotten a little out of yeah, hand. Yeah, it doesn't. I went through a dude phase in high school where I yeah. called everybody dude for a really you know, long time. Yeah. You, know, I, you know what? I'll give the peek behind the curtain. When we first started doing the show, it was you, me, and BK. You know what bugged me a lot that you guys would call me? Oh, and wow. Just, well, no, I confess wow. this out. Yeah, okay, wow. let's get into this. Let's open let's up the curtain. There. You want to know what bu bugs me about you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just going to let mine out, and we'll okay, save yours okay. for later. But uh, what you guys would always call me, thanks, buddy. Thanks, really? Buddy. buddy always bothered me. Like, I felt like it was, like, just, like, just talking to a person oh, that see, was, that's like, a go -to. below you. And, like, I've gotten used to it at this point, so it doesn't bother me now. It's a go-to. Like, I at just first, call people buddy. When we first started doing the show, and it would always be, like, because like, can you grab this audio? And I'd say, yeah, I'll get it. Thanks, buddy. And I'd be like, no, oh, I hate that. Is that like a... Now, Alex, what's your response to Taylor, Tanner revealing this information to you? I hate that you wear pullovers all the time. <laughs> So now oh, we both feel now we back. both feel great. I thought here. this was a therapy session. Nope, not at all. I, I don't do therapy <laughs> sessions well. I just start picking at people. Is that really? Does that make people feel bad when you call them buddy? Well, I mean, I'm used to it now. But like originally but, when we started, I never like 
now that I'm Nobody thinking about it, like, Buddy does seem kind of, like, demeaning. Like, oh, yeah, thanks, Buddy. That is kind of a common dog name as well. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah like, it, am I the Randy Jackson saying Buddy all the time? Like, thanks, dog. Like, like I said, I'm used to it now, but, like, when we first <laughs> thanks, started dog. doing the show and you guys would say, thanks, Buddy, or Buddy, can you do this? I, it just drove me crazy. I'm not your Buddy. I'm not yeah. your Buddy. Okay. We're coworkers. You I'm know not what? below you, man. You know what? Buddy is... Buddy is off the table from now on. Wow, I can't believe I'm witnessing yeah. this moment right the now. The other thing that I do a lot of is I use a ton of exclamation points in my texts. Oh, see, and I, my wife is the reason that. for that. I don't mind that. She's yeah, like, why use exclamation points? Are fine. She's like, why well, use exclamation points? Because I want you to know that I'm happy. And I'm like, yeah, but some people have told me that I look like I'm yelling at you. When I was single and guys would use too many emojis, I was like, I'm I out. I never use emojis. It's too many emojis. I use really? ha 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 or lol. Just say what you mean. I guess I just use like two emojis. I use the thumbs up and then I use the like that's crying the, laughing one. That's the quote from The Hangover with Bradley Cooper. He's like, just do me a call. Leave me a voicemail. Don't text me. It's, you know what. How that works. Well, now that I feel like Tanner and I hate each other more, wow. Alexa Dad okay, got buddy. the whisk of the... Oh, I think we were airing the grievances and that was a really profound moment. I feel better about BK myself Mario. when I can get rid of the B word and not use it anymore. I feel yeah. better about myself. You know myself. what? You can call me buddy. I will happily be your buddy. Didn't you say thanks, buddy, in our text last night? I, to Alexa or to you? No, to I never said that to Alexa. I I'll say be, thanks, buddy, all the I'll time. I'll be everyone's buddy. Nope, I'm turning a new leaf. It's no more buddy. I'm calling Alexa bro from now on. There you go. Alexa, Dad, Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, excited to chat with J.P. Morosi of MLB Network and NHL Network. This man is busy. I'm excited to catch up with him. But coming up next, we'll get back into the Blues and free agency, kind of reset what has taken place so far today and I want to look at the Central Division teams because we talked about that in our last segment of, like, do you feel good about this team going into next season? If this is the only moves that they make, you might not when you look at what the Central Division is doing. So we'll get to that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are back here at Centene Community Ice Center at the E&B Granite Studios here at Blues Prospect Camp and, of course, NHL Free Agency. And along with Alexa, Dad, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And now joined by Lou Korak of NHL.com, who uh, he was gasping for air when he was running over here because I'm assuming you're just nonstop right now, my man. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? <laughs> We're doing all right. So uh, some big news to start it off with Lou. Well, not big news, somewhat big news. Uh, Charlie Lindgren, Chucky Sideburns. He's got his opportunity elsewhere. The Washington Capitals have signed Charlie Lindgren to a three-year, $3.3 million contract. So less than what Thomas Grice signed for in St. Louis in terms of AAV. But Lindgren gets a three-year opportunity as the backup to Darcy Kemper, who Washington just locked up. So, Lou, let's start right there. Just your thoughts on the backup goaltender decision from Doug Armstrong and company. Well, really, that kind of explains it. Uh, getting three years, uh, I don't think the Blues were going to go there. Yeah. But um, I think they were just looking for something along the lines of a stopgap for uh, until maybe Joel Hofer gets here. So, uh that makes sense now because after we just talked to Army a little bit ago, and uh, when he said that um, they offered Lindgren, Joshua, Dakota Joshua, among others, uh, 
a one-way deal, and they turned it down, decided to go to free agency. I was a little surprised, but uh, now that explains it. You know, if, if you're going to get that kind of a commitment somewhere, uh, somebody else obviously saw what he was able to do here in St. Louis and obviously what he was able to do in Springfield and uh, decided to give him a, a commitment, which is what he was looking for, and uh, you wish him all the best. Right now we're taking a look at the Blues extending Robert Thomas and re-signing Nick Letty. From this point, without any other moves being made, how would you grade the offseason? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, can I leave it open-ended? Of course, right now? of course. Because, Let's talk uh, it out. Well, I mean, I still think there's there's something left to be done here. But, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go with what you say there. If it ends right now, um, I would give it a low B, mm-hmm. maybe, because – I think signing Nick Letty, uh, to be honest with you, with uh, the UFAs they had going, I didn't think he was going to be one that was going to be coming back. So being able to get him locked up into the top four uh, was a little bit of a surprise to me, but I think a welcomed addition. Maybe some people might not think so, but I think in the small sample size that um, he had here, I thought he played really well. Mm-hmm. And uh it was a need. It really is a need, but it does make it a little bit of a uh, a crowded room with eight uh, NHL caliber D men. Now that you're going to have to deal with, and Doug Armstrong said that's uh, that's the coach's problem, not mine. <laughs> so, but in all reality, Lou, that's I mean that's a pretty significant problem. Like, look, last season you lost Scandella, you lost Krug, you lost Letty in the playoffs, and you were basically I mean you brought up Steve Santini to play three minutes in a playoff game and went down to two guys playing 30-plus minutes, you don't want to be in that position. But you've got five guys on the left side and three guys on the right side. I mean, does it seem to you that there's still something potentially in the works on the defensive side for the Blues in terms of maybe somebody going out? I think so, and uh, I could be wrong, and I've been wrong a number of times, and <laughs> it won't be, the, won't be the first, it won't be the last time. So, But, yeah, I, I think something's, something's got to come to a head here because uh, – although they made it work. But Doug Armstrong made a good point. Um, in the first round, they got down to their 10th defenseman, you know, and the, those things are going to happen. And uh, they had to deal with it. They were able to persevere through it. But, man, you just don't like to see yourself in that situation if if, if you don't have to go there. But getting down to your 10th D-man, boy, you're, you're really – you're really digging deep to try to to try to keep this group together, and somehow they were able to do it. Maybe that's the way he's looking at it, and that's why he says that's the coach's problem, not mine. I'm just going to supply I'm going to supply him with the goods, and let's see what he does with it. So, um, but I but I think it's it's going to have to come to a head because there's just not enough minutes for all those guys to be able to play. And again, getting back to your question of uh, locking up Robert Thomas, I think that's crucial. Um, it's a little more than what I anticipated Same. it being. I thought it was mm. going to be in that $6 million range, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, that just tells you how much they covet the asset, how much he means to them. And l- when you hear the general manager talking about a 22-year-old being a cornerstone for your franchise, that just tells you how much they value him. In a situation with Robert Thomas, though, could it also be sending a message potentially to a Kachuk to say, hey, listen, we got this guy locked up for you, and and he's going to maybe take over the captaincy at some point with how well he's been playing and how long he'll be with this organization. Look what we got. 
come join us because we'll take it to the promised land. We stir the pot here on BK and Ferrario. <laughs> Lubon. You know, I was I was completely <laughs> expecting this. Tanner, do you have the sound effect of the door opening and closing? Oh, it's, or it's been open for about two months. <laughs> okay, okay. But you know what? I thought of that. And you, you try to connect those dots together, and I'm starting to see that now. Don't everybody get all excited out there right now because <laughs> – There you go. You had it. Lou Corak said, Matthew Kachuk to it. the Blues. Yes, I did it. But, <laughs> no, I, honestly, I'm starting to see some traction maybe there. That That is a really – that's a deep slope to go down, though. I yeah. mean, a lot still has to happen for something like that to be able to uh, come to fruition. But I'm starting to see some traction. And, I mean, that that is a huge commitment. These guys are the best of friends – they have the same agent, uh, you know. You know what I'm saying? That's maybe, right. Maybe yeah. you start to connect some of the dots. We're on together. the same page there, Lou. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> the Blues just announced also that they signed Will Bitten to a two-year, two-way contract extension. Uh, this is a player that they acquired for Austin Poganski mid-season from Minnesota. He was in Springfield, played really well for Springfield. Yes. I said a couple of days ago that this might be a guy who could compete for a fourth-line role, and that's something that Doug was speaking about with the media, Lou. Fourth line seems to be another priority on top of figuring out how this team looks with David Perron possibly most likely not being here. You got to figure out what this roster looks like, but you also have to figure out your fourth line without Toropchenko. Yeah, he said, I got to find some players. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and that's, and you lose Dakota Joshua, yep. somebody that they thought that uh, Doug Armstrong even said we had him penciled in as a guy that we were going to count on in that role and somebody that. I'm not going to say he chose greener pastures, but uh, wanted maybe a different direction. And he got a two-year contract with Vancouver. You know, you, I thought he was a, a good, solid player here, building really well. They didn't know what they were getting when they got him here. But, yeah, they've got – looks like they've got some small holes that they're going to have to fill in those roles. Well, Lou, I know you were busy because there's a lot going on. And I know you got to find out about Matthew Kachuk coming to St. Louis. <laughs> I know you got to get on that. Got to start digging. Start digging on all of that. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, though, just your thoughts on David Perron, because Doug did make the comment earlier uh, to the media that anything can change, but signs are pointing towards him not returning. Are you surprised it got to this point? Yeah, I really am. I, I really thought that he would have been re-signed before any of this took place. It just tells you of... Um... It speaks volumes of dealing in a cap world. Yeah. Bottom line, that's it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a cap world that we're living in. And uh, he made the example when he was in Dallas, uh, it was easy for the manager, you know, the general manager and the owners hated it because he could just sign off on all these contracts and say yes, you know, w with an unlimited spending, uh, spending limit. And now these guys have to abide by a cap. And that's just the world that we live in right now. Uh, David Perron wanted to be here. The Blues wanted to keep him. And unfortunately it's looking like that's not going to happen i you know i've been told a couple of times here in the last couple of days don't close that door yet but it it doesn't look like uh it's going to come to fruition unfortunately all right lou ball we let you get out of here man and uh, we'll see you out of prospect camp yeah. a little bit thanks all for right. stopping by all right. we'll take, take a break jp morosi of mlb network coming up next here on 101 espm we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Well, free agency continues, and we got some more news. I mentioned Will Bitt when Lou Korak was on with us, but we just found out that uh, the Blues made another signing, a one-year, $1.25 million contract to Noel Achari. might remember his name from his time with the Boston Bruins in that 2019 Cup Final, but he's also, of course, most recently with the Florida Panthers, so he signs with the Blues as free agency continues and to talk about a little free agency but more MLB trade deadline as we're headed towards the all-star break he's one of my favorites he's an MLB network insider he's an NHL network insider he's an all-around great guy he is JP Morosi JP how are you sir Alex and Alexa uh, I'm doing great glad to be in St. Louis today we've got a great matchup tonight with the Dodgers and Cardinals so always love being in your great city and especially this time of year yeah I'm looking forward to talking with you about this Cardinals team JP but if you don't mind I just toss one free agency question towards you in the NHL because I know you've got your pulse on everything that's taken place and of course the Blues the St. Louis connection to a Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau that uh, first pin to fall with Calgary do you think it's likely that we could see Matthew Kachuk donning a St. Louis blue note sooner rather than later? You know, that's a great question. I really think that with, with Goudreau and his situation, obviously it affects Kachuk in, in some way. And you start to dream about the future and what it could be to have Matthew Kachuk wearing the blue note in the future. He'd be a great fit uh, for this organization and certainly in the city. And obviously great news today on, on the Thomas extension too. So for me, there is, I think there is room the way the Blues have handled their cap, you think about, obviously, they had a choice a couple summers ago and Petrangelo moves on to, to Vegas. I mean, there is a there is a spot, I believe, in, in this team's payroll structure and the cap to make a move like that. And whether it's via trade now or, or free agency when he becomes available, uh, I, I do think the Kachuk piece is a, is a big one and one that I think uh, the Blues and Blues fans will be watching very closely here in the years to come. JP, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We want to switch our attention to the Cardinals. And honestly, there have been some names that have been thrown around in terms of the starting pitching market. And when you talk about Luis Castillo, you had mentioned that the Dodgers were interested. Trading him in the division would be tough. But what's a realistic name for starting pitching that the Cardinals could go out and acquire especially because they have a plethora of rookies, of prospects that could be going back in return? Yeah, Alexa, I think that fortunately for the Cardinals, there are a number of intriguing starting pitchers out there. And I I do think I'll start with a few of the rental names that could be available. Jose Quintana, of course, it's in the same division, but for a rental, it's it's probably not the same uh, impediment to making that move. I think he's had a really good year for Pittsburgh. Chad Cool, under the radar, really good year for him with Colorado. I think he's a a really intriguing rental name, as is Martin Perez in, uh, in Texas. I think broadly speaking, we could still see some other pitchers who are under control beyond this year available. And one team I'm watching really carefully right now is the White Sox. And whatever ends up happening with uh, with their decision at the trade deadline, is there a way for Lucas Giolito to be available? I, I just think that that team has been so mediocre for so long, uh, obviously with, with Tony La Russa at the helm there right now, they have some tough decisions to come. And if they consider – pivoting towards selling, I, I do think Giolito is, is one option. I, I think in general, the Cardinals, they, they could use some more pitching help, but it's not an emergency right now where they have to go out and, and give up two or three prospects. To me, there's enough uh, supply out there of rental pitchers who probably aren't going to cost you a bunch that even if you don't get Castillo, I think whether it's cool Perez, 
uh, or others, Quintana as well. There's going to be, I think, a very valuable arm out there for the Cardinals to get, even if it's just a rental. JP, if you don't mind uh, to touch on that Giolito one, because uh, our producer Tanner Hendrickson has brought that name up in the past. And look, the White Sox are a team that would have to uh, fall a little bit further out of things. But in all reality, what would a Lucas Giolito trade need to look like? Are we talking top prospects from the Cardinals or because that there's not as much control left on that? Maybe it's not as much as you would think. You know, it's an interesting question, Alex. I, I think that you would probably have to see one of your top three or four prospects from the farm system going in that trade if it happens. Again, it's still relatively early in the game here, especially right. in terms of the White Sox. If they make that decision, they're probably not going to make it until the very last uh, last couple days before him. But that's where I, I guess I would mention the name of Libertor here. He's on the roster now, but he's young. And so do, do you consider, if you're going to upgrade, I, I'm, I'm guessing a team like the White Sox, if they went down this road, would say, listen, we're not ready to give up on next year as well. So if we're going to give you Giolito in a trade, we can't be getting back two prospects who are an A ball and are three or four years away. We would need somebody who is who's close and able to make an impact. And so maybe that's where, where Libertor would be someone that you would talk about. I also think broadly speaking with the outfield and the, and the position players, I, I, you do wonder if, if they get everybody back around the same time, um, is Yepes potentially someone that you would, you'd move on from depending on how things play out. Uh, there's going to be a crunch on playing time. If you get Bader back by the end of July, obviously O'Neill could come back in the matter of today or tomorrow. So I, I think there's, there is going to be a crunch on playing time to where it creates some more options for you. As long as the Cardinals and their medical staff are pretty sure that the injuries that O'Neill and, and Bader have been bothered by are, are in the rear view mirror as much as anybody could tell with, with health and injuries. But it just seems like both those injuries or at least a series of injuries in the case of O'Neill have kind of been nagging for a while. And it's hard to trade your deck until you're really sure that you've got what you need internally. JP, you tweeted on Monday that the Cardinals checked in with the Nationals, among other teams, in their search for offense ahead of the trade deadline. And, of course, we did our radio thing and <laughs> automatically said that Juan Soto was going to be joining the Cardinals. His oh, feet were already on the ground. Um, but realistically, who from the Nationals could come to St. Louis and make an impact offensively? Well, Alexa, if that's if that's the case, and if it's Soto, I better get to the ballpark right now. You know, I better uh, I probably have to wrap up in a second and get to, over to the ballpark if it's Soto. But if not, we have a few more minutes. But no, I, I think uh, uh, to me, Josh Bell is interesting. Obviously, at first, and certainly the Cardinals have uh, a great first baseman and a great DH as well. But there might be some ways to kind of uh, utilize. I mean, he's not as as good of a fit because obviously Albert's been hitting here lately, and and perhaps uh, you, you certainly stay with Goldie at first base. So that's maybe not as natural of a fit. One name that I think is not getting as much attention as he deserves is Yadiel Hernandez in left field for for the Nationals. He is someone that, that arrived to the major leagues late because he had a lot of uh, time playing in Cuba, and and so he's he's an older player with not a ton of service time. But he is someone that hits, and I, I like what he brings. He, he reminds me a little bit of uh, David Peralta in, in some ways. I think Peralta is another guy that I think could potentially fit for the Cardinals too, depending on how all these health situations work out uh, with the outfield. But I would say Hernandez is a name that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think gives you a really quality at-bat. Uh, I, I would pay attention to him. He, he helps give you some balance there, left side. I, I just I like what he does 
for a ball club. And I think he's been a little bit underrated in Washington. So I would say that to prepare for that name and, and maybe think of if, if potentially Yadiel is someone who is talked about here as, as the weeks move forward. That's an interesting name, uh, JP. And I think the part that is so surprising to me was just a report in general of them looking into offense because I think all Cardinals fans just assume it's going to be starting pitching because that's their biggest weakness. And you know Cardinals fans, JP, like they look at it and they, as much as they want to believe in a trade, they also know that John Mosellock notoriously doesn't make trades. But when you've got a MVP-type season out of Paul Goldschmidt, when you've got Arenado and Edmund and Michaelis doing some of the best work that they've ever done, does this seem like a season that John Mosellock could say, like, we got to be aggressive here? I think so, and one of the reasons is, look, Milwaukee's got a good team, but they're not a team that I think is is a clear favorite in this division. They're a good team, but they're not a great team. Uh, They've got an excellent manager in Craig Council, who I think gets the best out of that group year in and year out. Uh, We've already seen some injuries with their pitching this season that makes them a little vulnerable. I, I just think that as, as time goes on, you know, Yelich hasn't really ever reclaimed that all-star type form, MVP form that he's had in the past. When you look at these rosters on paper and, and you say from now till the end of the season, which roster would you take if you had to pick one today between St. Louis and Milwaukee? I, I still might take the Cardinals. And you look at the rotation, and, and you're right. There's, there's been some concern. Wainwright goes out there and does what he does every single start. It's amazing what, what he has done and what he continues to do. Michaelis, I think, has had a, a really resurgent season. Hudson, for me, has, has really emerged. I mean, obviously, you, you, don't, you don't get the strikeouts that you, you would like from him, and obviously he walks too many guys, but he seems to manage innings decently well. I think mean, Hudson, for me, is a, the solid third or fourth guy for me. And then I think you're really just hoping for better health from Matt and, and hoping that Hicks can give you a little bit more innings. But this is where, when you talk about these names that we just reviewed in the rotation, I don't, I mean, obviously anybody would love to have Luis Castillo, but I don't think they need him. I, I think that the, a Chad Cool gives them reliable innings, which is kind of what they need to slot in maybe the third or the fourth. And if, if Cool is your third starter, and if the top of your rotation goes Michaelis, Wainwright, and then you have Chad Cool, and then Hudson, and then some combination of, of Matts and Hicks, and obviously you hope that you don't have to give up Libertor. And you shouldn't, by the way, give up Libertor to get a rental. You shouldn't have to. So that's where I think you still have Libertor, you still have Hicks, you hope that Matt is, is obviously someone that you can rely on a bit more in the second half. So you get one rental guy and put him in the middle of the rotation, and you should be in good shape. You could even maybe take a chance on, on Noah Syndergaard. And that's where the Cardinals have the resources to pick up more of Syndergaard's salary than maybe some other teams do in the trade market. So utilize that financial wherewithal, make that move, bring in Syndergaard potentially, even though he hasn't really been missing as many bats as usual. You bring in Syndergaard now, and, and perhaps you use your financial ability to make that trade a reality as much as your prospects as well. Uh, that's a name that I brought up in the past, JP, also that, that I, I love, and it's also kind of like the White Sox. You just got to wonder what they do towards the end uh, of uh, going into that trade deadline. Final one before I want to let you go, and I just want to get your thoughts on this name also. Pablo Lopez, does that name, does it seem likely that he could get traded for how Miami is just kind of in the thick of things? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting name for me, Alex and Alexa. I think he's he is an amazing pitcher. I mean, obviously he was one of the best in the game in the month of April and has had a tremendous first half overall. I, I'm a believer that if the Marlins move him, that it has to be a slam dunk, no doubt, win for them, where you would have to give up Libertor plus uh, to, to make that deal a reality. I, th- I think to get Lopez because of how valuable he is, 
Is it Jordan Walker and Libertor? It would be some kind of extraordinary offer to get him. And I just think right now, if there's a team that does it, I just don't think it would be the Cardinals. I think he's someone that certainly the Marlins have to listen on because they're kind of stuck in the middle ground. But they're close enough with Alcantara, especially in how well Sandy is pitched. I mean, they've got the building blocks of a really good team, if not this year, then hopefully next year for them, to where I would be – I'd be surprised. I I really would be. I I think from the Angels – the Angels, to me, are a much clearer seller than the Marlins are. And so if if there's – if it's Syndergaard or maybe even one of the Angels' more controllable arms, they have more profound needs from where I sit in terms of reshaping the roster and freeing up some money than the Marlins do. So I would say Marlins less likely than the Angels – and the White Sox, I think we, we'll have to wait and see how things play out for them in the next 10 days or so. But, my goodness, that is not the situation that Tony LaRusso thought he was going to walk into where all of a sudden Jose Abreu and Giolito and these guys are being talked about as trade candidates. Not at all. It's going to be a fascinating trade deadline if teams like that open up their uh, their rosters and start looking to make some trades. JP, it is always a pleasure to get to talk with you, sir. Thank you so much. Enjoy this one this evening between St. Louis and uh, L.A., and we look forward to getting chat with you real soon. Okay, sounds great, Alex and Alexa. Really enjoyed the conversation, and I'll get back to my prep work for today, which is actually rewatching that great post the Blues made about how to pronounce all the areas of St. Louis <laughs> in, in proper St. Louis English. I've been studying that like all morning. I sent it to my family members who are from St. Louis, and they've been laughing and, and sending it back to me. So it's it's been a lot of fun. That was brilliant social media there uh, by Mike Caruso and his staff there with the Blues. The Blues do it right, JP. You yeah. are a hundred percent on it. Thank you so much, sir. <laughs> All the best. You can take care. The best part about that video, too, is, uh, Alexa, I, I told you this before the show, Chris Thorburn, who spent time with the Blues, was on the Stanley Cup championship team. He, of course, is a skills coach on the prospect camp, and he yep. was trying to pronounce them, and he couldn't pronounce any of them any correct. Any of them. I hope we get him either today or later on this week because I, I can't wait to joke around about that with him. But uh, real quick, just to react to a couple – let's do this. Let's actually react to JP uh, because he brought up some really interesting names that I think open things up. And one Cardinal made an announcement yesterday. So we'll get to that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, there uh, some is unfortunate news. David Perron looks to be signing elsewhere. That's not the St. Louis Blues reported by Frank Saravalli that uh, discussions are close to an agreement with David Perron and the Detroit Red Wings. So we're in Red Wings. uh, Hey, (laughs) it was there was two places you didn't want it to go. It was Detroit. Well, that's not true. Three places I probably wouldn't have wanted to go, Detroit, Chicago, or Colorado. And at least it wasn't Colorado or Chicago. But uh, not pretty. We're still waiting to hear more information on that. So we'll touch more on David Perron and just the free agency period coming up in our rewind. But real quick, Alexa, I just wanted to react a little to uh, our good friend J.P. Morosi who hopped on with us and the names that he mentioned in the trade. And I think the biggest thing that I took away when he mentioned the names was him saying, you don't really need a Pablo Lopez. Now, as much as people can disagree with that, 
because a lot of people say they need a Lopez, they need a Montas, they need a Castillo, they need a top end of the starter because of Jack Flaherty's uncertainty. But from Morosi's standpoint, he's thinking you just kind of need a guy who can fill into that 3-4 spot that pushes some guys back because at the top of your rotation, it's Michaelis, it's Wayno, and you hope it's Steven Matz. What I love about J.P. Morosi is he always brings me back down to earth because we're up here yeah. seeing the biggest names and going, that guy would look great with the birds on the bat. Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo, Shane Bieber. But do we actually, when we think about it, when we take a step back, take a deep breath, and evaluate what this pitching staff has right now currently, do we need those big names? Probably not, says JP, and I totally agree with them. So if you get a guy like a Chad Cool who can eat innings for you, and you trust your bullpen because this bullpen has now been fortified with Jordan Hicks coming back and he's healthy and he looks great. Now you got a starting staff that you believe in. And now you just got to make sure the offense top to bottom is healthy and performs on a nightly basis. It's been feast or famine, really, for the entire Absolutely. season. It's been inconsistent. But they're still where they are right now because they've had offensive performances from guys who have stepped up in a huge way, especially a lot of these rookies who we didn't know how they were going to perform but have outperformed any sort of expectation that we had. So all of that combined goes to say, like, this could be a really strong team. And if it's not Pablo Lopez, which, in all, <clears throat> excuse me, in all reality, the way that Mo- Morosi relayed that, you are probably giving up a ton to get Pablo Lopez, more than what we're making it out to be. I mean, if you're even getting into the Mason Wa- or the Mason Wainer-Jordan Walker conversation, you're not even discussing that anymore. But the two names that he brought up are, one name that we have brought up, and then Tanner, you texted the other, was Lucas Giolito. He's the one, and what's interesting about it is it's two teams that you're waiting to see what they do. Because right now, the Angels and White Sox would probably tell you, yeah, we're not selling because we think we can compete. But in all reality, the Angels continue to find ways to lose when you're having historic seasons from Otani and Trout. And the White Sox, nobody thought the White Sox would be in this position. But if they do trend in the wrong direction, you're talking about a Lucas Giolito who matches the identity of what John Mozalak said, where you're looking for a guy who maybe was a starter or a, a star in the past, but you're trying to get him back to it, a reclamation project, or you're going after a Noah Syndergaard who's got some money, but he's also a guy who projects to be a 2-3 in your rotation. What a better place for Lucas Giolito to come and refine himself. Yeah. After that no-hitter, I remember I talked to him on my podcast, and one of my favorite things about him was he asked for the mound. And they were like, okay, you can take the rubber home. He's like, no, 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 I want the whole mound, six feet deep, six by six, dig it up, put it in a wooden grate, and send it to my parents' house. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, this guy, he's got the skill set. And I do think there is a great advantage being surrounded by guys like Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis, who... Pitching very well this season. Adam Wainwright knows his stuff. And, you know, these guys talk and communicate. This pitching staff is always in each other's ear. And Lucas Giolito coming in and joining that staff would be, I would love it. And and because I've seen him pitch before and, and we've seen his success, I would think it would be a great addition. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and Giolito caught my eye when I was just kind of looking through when Mo said, I think it was last Sunday on the Cardinals radio network, when he said essentially, you know what, we're kind of looking for that guy that, Maybe not the full reclamation project like what you saw in Jay Happ and John Lester were last year, but it's a guy that, you know, you bring him in here, you tinker with one pitch, and then you get him right, and he can be back to what you expect him to be in himself. And the two guys that make the most sense is Noah Syndergaard, who you and uh, BK 
are high on. And I think the other one is Lucas Giolito. He's having a down year in Chicago. He's making $7.45 million. He's got a year of control as well. And if the Cardinals think they can fix him, I mean, we've seen Lucas Giolito. Alexa mentioned he had the no-hitter, mm-hmm. for heaven's sakes. I mean, he is a really good pitcher when he's right. He's just struggling to find himself this year. And the White Sox are just a matter of a mess over there in Chicago. Like, I... They probably should sell. I'm not convinced that they will because they've got Tony La Russa there as manager, and I think they still want to keep making that push to get to the playoffs. I'm still not convinced that the Angels are going to sell, even though they definitely should sell. Uh, but they're definitely two guys I would keep an eye on. And I will say this. I I disagree. I do think the Cardinals still need a top-end starter at the top of this rotation. Not a number one, but a guy that's a number three that is basically a two on any other team. Because I think if you view this team, and I view this team as one move away from being a World Series contender, I think it is another top-end guy. I think it is the Montas, the Castillo, uh, the Pablo Lopez, which I'm not sure he'll... I don't know if the Cardinals would be in on him because it would take a lot to get him. But I do think Luis Castillo, who it's going to take a lot to get him because he's in the division. But I do think they are a big-name starter from making an actual push for a World Series contention. If they go get like a Chad Cole, I, I don't think it's a bad move. I think it actually makes sense because you can eat innings with him. I just don't know if I'll put them in the World Series contender list. I think I'll say, you know what, they're a good playoff team. They might be able to make a run if things break their way. But with a top-end guy, I'll be saying, you know what, they can actually go on a run and make a shot, have a shot to win the 22 World Series. The other trade deadline thing that probably should be discussed is the catcher position. Mm. Now, we've heard the reports of the Cardinals might be looking into catching. I know John Mozeliak has mentioned that in the past because they're not getting any production from anybody beyond Yachty or Molina. But then Yachty goes out there and does his little uh, dark magic with his Instagram post of a picture of him and his jersey with a baseball. If Yadier Molina is back, which they're saying he's going to be headed to a rehab assignment around the All-Star break, so uh, once they get back from that All-Star break, beginning of August, you're expecting Yadier Molina to be back. Alexa, does the catching position still strike you as a spot that the Cardinals should look at come trade deadline time? No, not trade deadline. Worry about it in the offseason. In the offseason? This is Yadier Molina coming back. He knows that this is the light at the end of the tunnel. He can see it. He needs to come back and perform for this team. Him and Adam Wainwright will join back as a battery, and they will kind of – it'll be a sprint to the finish line, essentially. And then he can ride off into the sunset. He can go coach, you know, winter ball, whatever he'd like to do, and not really have to, to worry about the grind day in and day out on his body – on him mentally, he can focus on his family. He will have that short stint, get it done, and then get out. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll be looking for catcher with the news of Yachty. I, I think they were saying that in terms of they weren't 100% sure what the timeline was for Yachty. If he was going to be out till September, maybe they would have considered making that move. I think now they kind of uh, just take a back burner and say, you know what, we've got Kisner, we've got Romine, we've got uh, Herrera. I think Herrera will be down in AAA for the rest of the year, if I had to guess. So I basically think now it's down to Kisner and Romine. Who's going to end up being the backup for Yadier Molina? Kisner does have op- – he's got one option left, I believe, so they can technically send him down if they want to. I, I, I just not sure now that they're going to be adding a catch. Now that we have a clear timeline for Yadier Molina's return. How about that news maybe just lighting a fire under Kisner, too, because Could. all of a sudden his bat woke up. Last couple of games, especially for how much he probably saw the Cardinals in terms of Volumar Mall, Adam Weir, and a couple Gee. of others saying they want Yadi back. Kisner's probably like, blank this. I'm going to go out there and turn into something. Do you hear yep. what Ollie said last night post game? I found it funny. He said, no. the guys were joking in the dugout that Kisner's best, uh, best bet to ball skills, he just hits like 64 to 74 mile an hour bloop shots over the first baseman. Just hits the bloopers. Doesn't really hit the line drive. Hey, it hey, plays. Hey, it hey, plays. Hits, I'll take it all day long. A hits a hit. They don't ask how. They ask how many. Bloop, Let's go, Kisner. Bloop all you want as long as we're getting, uh, getting those RBIs in. Alexa Dett, Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario will come back and continue with the rough news of it seems David Perron is going to be signing elsewhere.
And we'll put a bow on this BKN Ferrario with our rewind next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, the most recent news from free agency as we wind things down here on BK and Ferrario is the report from Frank Saravalli and Jeremy Rutherford backing it up, saying that things are close to an agreement between David Perron and the Detroit Red Wings. Now, we don't have an AAV on that, so uh, we won't be able to find out what he is truly signing for. But, man... You, you can sit here and talk about it all you want, that David Perron's not going to be back probably, and you sit there, like you mentioned, Alexa, in the commercial break, of there's a sliver of hope, and you're holding on to that, but when you finally hear that it's done and it's going to another team, it stings a little bit more. And I think the thing that's going to sting the most for Blues fans is just the start of this offseason. And again, the offseason is very long. There's a lot more to free agency. Doug has pulled off magic in the past. But so far today, you have re-signed Robert Thomas to an eight-year contract extension. You have re-signed Nick Letty to a four-year contract extension. You've signed Thomas Grice. You've signed Will Bitten, and you've signed Noel, Noel Achari. That's been your free agency period so far if you're Doug Armstrong. Okay, and we're waiting for more to happen. There's got to be more that happens. And also, because you don't have maybe that sexy name just yet, it hurts a little bit more watching mm-hmm. your guys walk yeah. and watching them actually put pen to paper and the ink dry with other teams because it was kind of there was a sliver of hope. Yeah. Perron talks still open with the Blues. OK, I'm going to hold out hope that maybe he could still come back. But when you see, bam, hit you in the face, Detroit Red Wings, also Billy Huso. bam, Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. Then you also got Dakota Joshua going to the Canucks. I mean, like you see all of these guys actually signing with legitimate teams then you go oh man my heart hurts a little bit more yeah and, and it we talk about this offseason it still reminds me right now because I don't think Army's done and I do feel like there's a big move coming because we were talking about it. right now it feels kind of like I don't know if disappointing offseason's the word yet but it's just kind of a down offseason it feels kind of blah right now that when I think that, I still think in the back of my mind that Army's got something up his sleeve. This isn't a typical Army off season, and I we were talking about this in the break as well. You know, it kind of reminds you of that 2018 off season where it's like Bozak, Perron, that's it, and then 24 hours later, boom, there comes Ryan O'Reilly. I'm not saying they're going to go get Chuck in 24 hours, <laughs> but I am saying I do think there's still something up Army's sleeve. I do think he's working on something that'll kind of blow us away. Yeah, he's like, quit your crying, guys. <laughs> well, hold yeah. out, give me some God, time. Let, let me, me do get my Kachuk job. Done, please. <laughs> Before we let you both go, can I make both of you feel better before we get out of here? Please. So Nick Letty, four years, four mil per year, doesn't feel great to us. Ben Sherratt just signed a four-year contract with Detroit for 4.75 mil. Nick Letty's better than Ben Sherratt, so that technically is a steal for the Blues. I'm telling you, when Nick Letty came here, I liked him. And he, a lot of people were down on him when he first arrived. They didn't really know what they were getting. But from my all of my sources in New York with his time with the Islanders, he was a huge piece to that team. And obviously, once he went to Detroit, it was a little bit different. 
and then he comes and revives his career with St. Louis. Let's hope that we're getting the Nicoletti for the next four years that he was with the New York Islanders. So I think a lot of people are hoping for Tanner Hendrickson. Alexa, this has been so much fun with you for the past couple of days. Thanks for having me. I've I can't wait to do this again with you. We're going to try and well, BK goes on vacation pretty much every other week. So uh, we'll look forward to getting back <laughs> you in here sooner or later. Thanks, Stick guys. around the fast lane. We'll have all of your free agency coverage up until six o'clock. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Jeremy Rutherford in for BK from 11 to 2 here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.